Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. When I feel that, because I believe his word more than I believe the fear. Mm, that's good. Well, it's the same thing with doubt. You know, I mean, which who of us, especially if you have to stand for a long time, firm in something, whether you're waiting for a healing or you're waiting for a breakthrough in some other area. I don't think any of us could say that, well, we never, we're never even tempted to doubt or to have a thought this may not happen, right. but we don't have to believe those things. We can continue to believe the Word of God. That's why it's okay to pray, I believe, but Lord help my unbelief. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Kendra from Louisiana would like to know, with all that has been going on in America, and so many things happening here in our nation and heartache for our country, I believe several of us could use a word or two on trusting God's word when chaos reigns. Well, first of all, I believe that if each one of us do what we should do, that we can trust God that he will take care of us. You know, there was chaos in Egypt when all the plagues were coming on Egypt, and yet God's people were taken care of in a little place called Goshen. And I think that Goshen is like the presence and the protection of God. And the whole thing is, is we've already read the end of the Bible, and we know that God wins in the end. And I don't like what's going on. I don't, I don't like all the bad reports. I don't like all the discouraging things that are happening. But in some ways, and none of us know exactly when, the Bible tells us that these kind of things are going to take place mm-hmm toward the end. Now, Paul thought he was living in the last days, so I'm not saying Jesus is coming back tomorrow, but he will at some point, and there's going to be a great ingathering of saints, a great revival, but also a great falling away, and there's going to be trouble and anguish in the world. And so all I know is if that we're alive on the planet at this time, then we're equipped to be here, and if we keep our eyes on God, he'll show us how to navigate through it and, you know, I think the simple answer to her question is you've got to be careful what you focus on. You know, God is just as real as the problems. Yeah. But to be honest, I, some people may not agree with this, but I don't even care to listen to the news like over and over. Yeah. You know, I mean, what I do on my phone is I look at the headlines, and then if there's something that I feel like I need to know, I'll check into because I, I do think we should be informed. Mm-hmm. But I think if you just, if you put too much of the bad news in you, then it gets hard to have hope. And so I think it's important to to glance at your problems and folk and, and stare at Jesus, right. not yeah. the other way around. Yeah, good. Marie from Colorado asks, "How do I trust God's word when I had faith and it still went wrong?" Well, having faith in God doesn't necessarily mean, uh, let me put it like this, there's believing God for something, and there's believing God through something. So believing God is believing God. And I think that's a great question because I remember having to make that same transition in my life. It's one thing to trust God to give me what I want. 
<laughs> it's another thing entirely to trust God when it doesn't turn out the way that I wanted and to believe that even in the worst circumstance, God can still work something good out of that. Right. It doesn't mean the thing is good, right? but he can still work some good out of it. Let, let's just say, for example, that maybe somebody has a child die. Well, how can I stand and tell them, oh, it's going to turn out good? Right. You know, you're, you're always going to have a loss there. But God can still do good things with the tragic thing that happened. You know, I was thinking this morning about a situation. I know a man who's, who's a pastor whose son was actually accidentally electrocuted while working under the platform in the church. Now, it was just a terribly hurtful situation, and I know that they still miss that boy every single day. But you know what? I do this, and I know other people that do it too. If we hear about somebody who's lost a child, he'll be one of the first people we'll call to get him to talk to them because he has real compassion in that area. So if we continue to trust God, not just to do things, but through things, he'll always work some good out of it. As hard as it may be when you're in the middle of it. No, absolutely, because you have the personal pain, yeah. the emotional pain to deal with. And it's kind of like, you know, you're fighting a battle that that is difficult to even understand. But I'll tell you the truth, Ginger, if we get right down to it, I don't know what any of us are going to do if we don't trust God. Yeah. I mean, to me, there is no other option. What am I going to do if I don't trust God? Right. Then I have to just throw in the towel and quit and give up and be confused and frustrated. And so I've decided for my life that I'm going to trust God, even if it's beyond reason, if it doesn't make any sense. To me, that's my only option. Right. Because we can put our trust in ourselves. We can put our trust in other people. We can put our trust in our, our work. And, and all those things will fail us. Right. Nothing will do what God can do. In our and that doesn't mean God's going to give me everything I want. Right. Or that it's right. going to turn out exactly the way I want it to. Right. But this life here is going to be over a lot sooner than most of us think. Our years go by pretty fast. And then I'm going to have God. He's the one thing that lasts forever. And so I want to make sure that I've got my trust in the right place, not in something temporal. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tara is asking, what verse or scripture in the Bible should I dwell on for helping with worry? I do have trust, but when it's your kids, it's just hard not to worry. Well, I know that it is. It's, it's challenging, you know, not especially if it's your children. But, you know, the scripture that I always think about is Psalm 37.3, trust in the Lord and do good. And so I think one of the ways to it's a great scripture. To not just be stuck in worry all the time is to trust God to do what you need and then stay busy yourself doing something to be a blessing to somebody else. I think the the more I stay busy trying to help other people, the less time I have to worry about my own situations. And you know, just as a comfort I can tell whoever this is that's asking this question that I spent a lot of time no, I wasted a lot of time worrying about my children, and they all turned out fine. <laughs> and so I think that the way it looks right now doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it's going to be. And, you know, we can't make other people's choices for them. We just can't. We yeah. can be an example. We can pray for them, but we can't make their choices for them. And so the best thing to do is pray that they'll make the right choices at the right time and just stay busy helping people. What you make happen for somebody else, God can make happen for you. Yeah. And I, I love that, that that verse has an action in it for us to do as well. We're depending on God. 
we're trusting in him completely. But he will still give us things in our lives that, that will move our faith along right. by helping other people, by seeing him work in other people's right. lives. And, and that, that really does make such a big difference. That's right. Tanya is asking, I experienced sexual trauma as a child. It led me to mistrust God to keep me safe. I find myself struggling to trust God's word for fear that I might go through something awful again. So, you know, I was abused sexually in my childhood. And I remember praying for God to get me out of the situation many, many, many times. So I'm, I can understand yeah. where she's at. Um, and God didn't get me out of the situation, but he did get me through it. And when I learned to not be bitter and resentful, about what had happened to me, but to trust God to work something good out of it. He's worked it all into my life, and it's, it's now a benefit to a lot of other people. And so I would just say this. If you trusted God for something at one time, and you didn't feel that you got it, that doesn't mean you didn't, because what happens is when we don't get it the way we want See, I wanted God to get me out of that situation. I didn't, I didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do that but he did something else. And so maybe she's looking at it in that way, that, well, God didn't deliver her, and so she thought she could trust him, and so now she feels like she can't trust him. But we can't just trust God to get what we want. We trust God to even take the things that Satan means for harm and to work them out for good. Mm-hmm. That's in Genesis 50:20, where Joseph was so horribly mistreated by his brothers and so unfair and unjust, and yet when they came back to finally repent, he said, you know, what, what, what you meant for harm, God intended for good. And so a lot of it is our attitude toward things, and, you know, here again, who are we going to trust if we don't trust God? I mean, I've tried trusting myself, and I kind of fall apart sometimes, <laughs> and I've tried trusting people, and Although I do trust people, I don't put all of my trust in people. Mm-hmm. You certainly can't trust the world's financial system. I don't know what we're going to trust if we don't trust God. And God is good, and God is faithful. Yeah. And maybe you had a disappointment at one time in your life, but how many other times has God been good to you and come through for you and done what you did ask him to do? Yeah. Um, this is from Michelle. I'm faced with the potential side effect of my past mistakes. How do I believe what the Word says about forgiveness when this could forever remind me of long-ago mistakes? Well, I think I kind of understand what she's trying to say, although she's not really coming right out and saying it. You know, first of all, God does not always remove all the circumstances of what we got ourselves into. I mean, let's just say, for example, if somebody commits a murder, they can be forgiven, but they may still end up... There are consequences. There are consequences for the things that we do. And I don't really have any good scripture to say we can make all that go away. But I guess when when the person's talking about I may end up with some circumstances that are going to forever remind me of my mistakes, I guess the good thing to do is when you're being reminded of those mistakes is to remember how amazing it is that God forgave you for those. Right. You know, even though maybe you're still having to deal with some circumstances, how merciful and gracious God is that he's forgiven me for the the thing that I did. And then the other side of it is, is nobody's saying that God can't remove 
the circumstances. I believe that God can give us favor and he can show mercy and he can do things that would absolutely amaze us. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up and say, well, I guess I'll just have to suffer now the rest of my life because of what I did. But either way, God is good and he's merciful and his forgiveness is extremely amazing. And we don't have to live in the past. You know, I tell people, and I really believe this, that your real life is, is your life in you. It's not what's going on around you. So I think that there are people that are, for example, in prison for something they've done in the past that are more free than some people that are living what would be considered an ordinary life, but they're in bondage inside. Right. So no matter where you're at, if you know how much God loves you and you understand his forgiveness and you understand the great mercy that he shows in your life, you can still be a happy person and be blessed, and you can even make good use out of that by sharing with other people. So we can totally trust in that full promise of forgiveness, right. even though we still see some consequences for, for different things in our past. That's right. That's absolutely yeah. right. Well, today we're offering you a, a Bible. You can never have too many Bibles. And we have a Bible called the Everyday Life Study Bible. And I call it that because I do believe that the Word of God is for our everyday lives. They're just, the Word of God is practical. It's not just spiritually over our heads. It's practical. And this one today is the black leather version, and I think it will be a blessing and a benefit to you. The study Bible is great. It's full of all kinds of teaching notes from my past messages and things that God has taught me over the years. And I think it will really help you have good understanding in the Word of God. It's good not to just read the Word, but to study the Word, and this will help you do that. God's Word is life-changing, and the Everyday Life Bible will increase your understanding of Scripture through notes and commentary by Joyce Meyer. Each book of the Bible has an historical introduction, as well as practical life points and articles on how you can put the Word of God to work in your life, in every situation. This beautiful bonded leather edition is available today for your gift of $40. To order, call us toll-free at 1-800-727-9673, or visit us at JoyceMeyer.org. by the friends and partners of Joyce Meyer Ministries. You cannot blame and be blessed at the same time. You can play the blame game or you can be blessed, but you can't be both. I wonder if you realize that greater is he that's in you. To believe for God to bless you. Believe for your life to go forward. To be able to do all he's called you for and called you to. Imagine a way that you could partner with Hillsong and be resourced for your life's journey. Imagine having a continuous stream of great messages, music, and merchandise designed to help you be an influence in every sphere of life. Imagine making a difference in a way that will literally surprise you every month. Introducing the Hillsong Team Box, an exclusive monthly subscription that delivers everything Hillsong directly to your door. Here's how it works. Each month we'll send you the Hillsong Team Box full of exclusive resources at 50% off. Free shipping in the U.S. and no hidden fees. You can't receive this mix of resources any other way. So what's in the box? A combination of the best of Hillsong and Friends. Worship, books, t-shirts, apparel, devotionals, and more. 
Join a group of people across the globe who are bringing the hope of Jesus to humanity. Visit hillsong.com forward slash team to join today. Join Brian and Bobby Houston and Hillsong United on a trip of a lifetime in the Hillsong Worship Experience Tour in 2017. Experience life-changing moments as the Bible comes alive. Experience worship with Hillsong United in the places that Jesus wants. This will be an unforgettable adventure, so don't miss out. For more information, visit hillsong.com slash Israel. type until you get excited about something. I found out that gratitude is the gateway into the provision of God. Well, isn't that interesting? Let's just study this for a moment. Isn't that interesting? That the Bible says in Jonah 1 verse 17 that the Lord provided a fish. Do you think Jonah saw it that way when he was being swallowed? 
Probably not. Thank you, Lord, for this provision. <laughs> Didn't feel like provision at the time. At the time, being in the belly of the fish is a problem. So, sometimes it takes time before you can see the problem as the provision. And this is where I want to spend a moment with you today because it unlocks something for me. Upon reflection, when I saw that in the book of Jonah, which is four chapters long, there's a Hebrew word that is used four times to describe four different events in Jonah's life. And the word is mena. Hebrew word is mena. Translated into English, it means to appoint, to prepare, or more accurately, as the NIV renders it, to provide. If there is one thing that I have learned about God in walking with Him and pastoring a church, it is that He can be trusted to meet my needs. I wonder, have you learned that in your life yet? If you have, I want you to just say out loud right now where the devil and everybody in your seating section can hear you. Come on, Gaston. Say it out loud. The Lord is my provider. You said that like you believe it. You said that like you've had some moments in your life where the money was low. You said that like you've had some moments in your life where you saw no way to stay afloat. And so God sent something in your life to swallow you up. The Bible says that God provided a fish to swallow Jonah. Manna, manna, manna. You, you might have heard about manna before. That's the stuff in the Old Testament that when the children of God were wandering in the wilderness, because rather than go straight into the promised land, they wanted to go 2,500 miles around and around and around and around in circles. But God said, I'm going to feed you even though you're frustrating me. And he rained down this stuff from heaven, and they called it manna. That's what they called it. They were calling it that because of this Hebrew word, manna. Spelled a little differently, but that's where they got it from. It was God's provision. So do you know what they did when God sent the provision? They complained. Because they didn't want manna. They wanted meat. God's provision does not always come wrapped in your preferences. I'm going to preach this today no matter who says amen. I feel like I'm on something. God's provision in your life doesn't always come biggie size. Doesn't always come hold the onions, hold the mayo. And they complained about the manna. And Jonah complained about the fish. At the time, it was only after the story was over. Most scholars believe that the book of Jonah was not written by Jonah himself, but it was written based on the report that he gave after he got back from doing what he didn't want to do. So it could have been months later, could have been years later, that Jonah is talking about his experience, and he calls it manna. At the time, it seemed like misery. But later, I saw it as manna. 
Only through the perspective of reflection can I see that today's misery might be tomorrow's manna. So that I look back over my life. Come on, is this good? Is this all right? And he says, the Lord provided a fish, a whale. And then check this out. Jonah goes into Nineveh. He preaches 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. God gives the Assyrians a second chance. And Jonah doesn't like that he gave the Assyrians a second chance. He liked it when God gave him a second chance. Sometimes we want God to give us provision and give other people punishment. But how many know if God gave you a second chance, you're not too good to extend grace to others either. Jonah doesn't like it though. He doesn't like the package that God's provision comes in. So he preaches. And he preaches with effectiveness to people he doesn't even like. And God does something he didn't expect him to do. And the Bible says that this did not seem right to Jonah. Do you know that that's where a lot of our misery comes from? Is that we have our own ideal and imagination of how things were supposed to go. And when anything contradicts our imagination and ideal, we feel like we have a right to be angry. Because it didn't meet my rules. Don't you see, God? This is how I was supposed to be married at age 23. And I'm 23 and a half. <laughs> Tina got married. And she dresses like a... And she, she's not even that holy. <laughs> Come on. So he goes out. And he sits down. And the Bible says that he made himself a shelter. Because it was a hot day. Not Charlotte, North Carolina hot. Certainly not Toronto, Canada hot. It was, it was Middle Eastern hot. I'm talking about 110 degrees. And he needed a shade, so he made a booth for himself. A little shelter. He went outside the city. Now that's significant. He went outside the city God sent him to before God released him. No matter what shelter you make for yourself outside of God's assignment for you, it will never sustain. And he sits down, and, and, he, and he's mad, and he's got a bad attitude. But if we've learned anything about God from the story of Jonah when God sent the whale to swallow up a man who was in the water because of his own disobedience, it's that God doesn't wait for your attitude to get right before he gives you his attention and takes care of you. And so now Jonah is sitting under the shelter that he made, and God does something interesting. It is the second time that the word manna appears in the book of Jonah. It says in verse 6, chapter 4, the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah's head, give his bald head some shade. I like to picture Jonah bald, just dramatizes the story a little bit more. Think about being bald and how, how hot his head would be, and then the Lord covers his head with this plant, this uh, castor oil plant over his head, and he's sitting there, and he likes that plant, boy. He doesn't care very much about people, but he likes plants. <laughs> and here's where I see that for everything that Jonah has seen God do, he still doesn't get it yet. Because he got outside of the fish, that was a miracle. 
but he never got outside of himself. The most miserable place in the world to be trapped is not in the belly of a whale. It's inside of yourself. Inside of your selfishness. A lot of believers get delivered from their sin, but they never get delivered from themselves. And so all of life is spent in the shade of you trying to find your own comfort. And oh Lord, thank you for the plant. Isn't this a pretty plant? Yeah, but how about all those people? Oh, people are unpredictable. I like plants. And the Lord said, I knew you liked plants. That's why I provided the plant. But now that I see that you're more focused on the plant than the people, I got to take the plant away. So look at the third thing that God provides. He provides the whale to deliver Jonah, the plant to comfort Jonah, and here comes the worm. Now, if we were writing the story, we would not use the word manna to describe this worm. Because watch what the worm does. The Bible says at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. God provided a worm. I heard about Jonah and the whale, but what about the worm? Can we see the worm? This is that thing in your life that comes along just when you've gotten yourself comfortable. Just when you figured out how life is supposed to be. Just when you got your retirement account right where it's supposed to be. Then you got your little comfortable situation. And Jonah's settling in as a spectator in a situation where God has called him to be a participant. And he's sitting outside the place of his assignment and he's got a shade over his head. And here comes the worm. And the worm made Jonah furious. Jonah got so mad at God about the worm because not only did God send a worm, but after God sent a worm to destroy the plant that was shielding Jonah from the sun, then God provided the fourth thing. He provided the whale. He provided the, uh, the plant. He provided the worm. And then the Bible says in verse 8, he provided the wind. It's a Sirocco. It's a kind of wind that beats on you so hard that you have to run for shelter. Now God is making sure that Jonah can't stay outside of the city and find shelter. And at the time, Jonah is furious. Why did you take my plants away? Why did you take my boyfriend away? Why did you take this thing out of my life? What did you make me go through? Don't tell your story too soon, Jonah. Because what you're going to see, if you, if you see it through the lens of a God who loves you, you're going to see that the whale and the worm we're working together to serve a purpose in your life. At some point after Jonah has gone back home, 
He sits down to tell the story of what happened when God sent him to Nineveh. And by the time he tells the story, he says, you know, at the time I thought it was misery, but it was actually manna. It was all God's provision. And see, I don't know how Jonah finally got this perspective, you know, because the book of Jonah doesn't tell us. When the book of Jonah ends, he's still sitting there with the sun beating down on his head. He's still sitting there trying to figure out what to do. But at some point, he sees it, that the whale that delivered me and even the worm that destroyed the thing that was comforting me, it all came through the hand of God who knows what's best for me. I don't know how he got this perspective. I know he didn't talk to James because James didn't write his epistle until hundreds of years later. If he would have talked to James, James could have told him about joy. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you face trials of many kinds, when you see worms crawling up and creeping over your head, trying to destroy the comfort of your life. God's not trying to kill you. He's trying to keep you alive. And nothing can grow in your comfort zone. So from time to time, God is going to have to let something come in your life that destroys your comfort so you can fulfill your calling. And now Jonah sees the same God that rescued me with the whale sent the worm to deliver me from myself. But he didn't talk to James. James wasn't around. James could have told him, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything that comes into your life can be a gift if you know what to do with it. I didn't know that at the time he lost his daughter. Losing his daughter wasn't the gift, the difference that he's making now, telling others they can have hope too. That's the gift, but you won't know that. You won't know the purpose of the worm if you write your story while you're in it. We watched a young lady get baptized in our church today who went through some horrible things. But she's got some wisdom. She found out that the purpose of the worm that took away her shade was to send her back into Nineveh to rescue others who need to be saved. I need somebody who this teaching is resonating with to begin to praise God for his purpose and provision in your life. I know, I know Jonah didn't get a chance to talk to Jesus. You know, I was imagining, what if Jonah could have talked to Jesus? And Jonah is explaining to Jesus, he's like, man, you don't know what it feels like to be me. And Jesus said, oh, really? Try me. And Jonah said, no, man, for me it was easy. You're the son of God. But for me, it wasn't that easy. For you, it was easy. For me, it wasn't easy. See, I had to go down from my comfort to a place to minister to people that were my enemies. And Jesus said, oh, really? Tell me more. Because I kind of did the same thing. When I left the comfort and the prestige and the pristine environment of heaven to be born of a virgin and wrapped in flesh. And I came to my own and they received me not and they nailed me to the cross. And from the cross I uttered the words of forgiveness that became the redemption of the world. And 
Jesus said, what else, Jonah? Jonah said, well, you don't understand. I had to spend three days in a dark place. I had to spend three days in a place where it looked like there was no hope. And Jesus said, really, then what happened? And then Jonah said, well, after three days, I got spit out. And Jesus said, well, I know something about deliverance coming out of dark places after three days. Don't you see it? Jesus is our greater Jonah, our deliverer. And all things work together for the good. The cross and the crown. The whale and the worm. If you never memorize another Bible verse, do Romans 8.28. And read it until your eyes cross over. I mean, read it, read it, read it, read it, and read every word, and then think about that word, think about the next word. For we know that all things are good. Come on, do it, Frank. We know. Do it again. Paul's not that naive, and neither is God. You know, there's nothing beautiful about the worm when it's chewing through your plant. That's not what we're saying. That's not my message. My message is that the God of the whale that delivered you is also the God of the worm. The whale, the worm and the will of God. You know, the whale and the worm were a tag team assigned to Jonah. And when the whale got done dropping Jonah off in Nineveh, he said to the worm, you And the echolocation went out, hit the worm. The worm said, all right, I'm going to be in position. Because we both have one job to get Jonah back to the place of his assignment. Once his shade was gone, he had no choice but to go back into the place where God wanted him to be. The whale, the worm, and the will of God. And we know that all things, all the whales, all the worms, all the big things, all the little things, all of the blessings, and yes, even the burdens too, all of the things that feel good, and all of the things that hurt like hell, God said, I'm going to use all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it, every dark thing, every destructive thing. All of it. Somebody shout all of it. All of it. All things work together.
confidence. I'm not a confident person. But that misunderstands the nature of confidence. God has given each of his children confidence, but we have to grow in it. Right. We have to develop it, and we have to protect it. Exactly. Because the enemy is always after your confidence in yep. your marriage, in your job, in your parenting, in yep. your situation. And if you tie your confidence to people or circumstances, mm-hmm. your confidence is going to be up and down. But there is a confidence that only God gives. Right. And it's the kind that sticks. So, I want you to learn how to protect your confidence in Christ. We have a resource we put together for you. I believe this may be the confidence boost that you've been needing, that you've been waiting for. And today is the day for you to understand that you're valuable to God. Now, when something is valuable, that also makes it vulnerable. When it's worth something, that means it's under attack. That's how your confidence is. The enemy knows he can't have your calling unless he gets your confidence. Yep. So... In light of all of this, we want you today to make a move toward restoring your confidence. We're calling this Your Confidence Comeback. We want you to get this teaching today. Just call or visit stephenfurtick.com and request Your Confidence Comeback with any gift to the ministry now. Here are the details. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I will not fear. My God is too big. My God is too great. My God is too faithful. My God is too good. My God is too wise. My God is too awesome. His grace is too amazing. I've come too far to quit. And my confidence is coming back. Your Confidence Comeback is a five-part series that's all about helping you live in a place of strength and confidence. You can request a series with your gift of any amount today. Also, if you'd like to go even deeper, you can additionally request the Gratitude Practice Journal and the four-part series How to Be Brave on DVD, as well as a 12-month death calendar complete with a monthly reading plan and selected scriptures to enrich your journey of faith with your gift of $90 or more. You can go to stephenfurtick.com, call the number on the screen, or text the word COMEBACK to 41444. God is with you, He is for you, and He desires to fill you with His Spirit and His confidence today.
spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, so chill out. I'm not asking you to break up with somebody today. I'm talking about breaking up with comfortable Christianity. who make it happen. That's awesome. From the initial preparation. Two weeks out and we don't have a venue yet. No! The learning through mistakes. I felt intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> yep, went to print. And pre-production challenges. Are we safe with the water? Like, are we all right? We're going to need poncho. A fun and intriguing look. Guys, I can't cry the whole time. It's not okay. Behind the scenes. Of Color Coffin. On the Hillsong Channel. Introducing the Hillsong Team Box, an exclusive monthly subscription that delivers everything Hillsong directly to your door. Here's how it works. Each month, we'll send you the Hillsong Team Box full of exclusive resources at 50% off, free shipping in the U.S., and no hidden fees, a combination of worship, books, T-shirts, apparel, devotionals, and more. Join a group of people across the globe who are bringing the hope of Jesus to humanity. Visit hillsong.com forward slash team to join today. on an adventure of a lifetime, that every week you would look for opportunities to help somebody win, to give something to someone who could never pay you back, because that's where real life begins. You want to take ground this year? Help somebody else take ground. You want to succeed this year? Help somebody else succeed. You want to win this year? Help somebody else win, who could never pay you back, because when you do something for somebody else, God takes care of the needs that are in your life. I heard a story about this professional climber who had been preparing for months to climb this well-known mountain. He had paid thousands of dollars to join a team, expedition team, and they were nearing the top of the mountain. It was taking them weeks to just trek up this mountain and climb through the snow and through the cold weather. As they were getting closer to the top, it was their final day. They were a few hours away from the summit. There was a small window to reach the top of the mountain before the blizzard came in. It would make it impossible for the next few weeks for them to reach the top. This was their moment to get to the top. This was their hour for this man, this professional climber who had been preparing to finally reach the summit. And as they were getting closer to the top, just a few hours away, this climber looked to the right side and he saw a man curled up in the snow, lifeless, just laying there on the side of the mountain. His team commander said, nobody stop. 
If you stop, you won't make it to the top. Just keep moving forward. Just ignore him. Keep moving forward. This commander was, he was lacking any compassion. He was so focused on reaching the top of the mountain. But this climber who had been preparing, he thought to himself, I can't just ignore this dying man on the side of the mountain. So he yelled back at his commander, you guys go ahead. I'm going to stop and help. The commander shouted back at him. He said, you paid all this money. You've come all this way. If you stop, you won't make it to the top. You might even die if you try to help that other climber. Just keep going. But the man couldn't shake it. So he left his team as they kept trekking to the top. And he walked over to the side. True story, he found this climber who had fallen over, and there was just a little heartbeat left. But he was totally unconscious. So the climber began to massage the man's arms and pat the man's face, rub his legs, just do anything to get this man to wake up. Finally, after 15 to 20 minutes, the climber wakes back up, and the professional climber lifts him up, and he carries him down the mountain. And that day, he saved the man's life. When they got to the bottom of the mountain, the doctor began to check both of them. The doctor looked at the professional climber who stopped, and he said, had you not have stopped, you would have died at the top of the mountain. Your fingers were going numb. Your toes were going numb. You would have died of frostbite. But when you stopped to save this man's life, you ended up saving your life too. And the climber said this that day. He said, I didn't make the summit, but I saved a person's life. I gained a brother that day, and in exchange, I ended up saving my life too. And the bottom line that I want to share with you that I think Joshua was sharing with the people of Israel is this. You never lose when you help somebody else win. You never lose when you help somebody else win. You never lose. When you help others take ground, you end up taking ground too. When you give somebody else a chance, a shot, potential, a hand to help, when you go out of your way to serve somebody else, it ends up only causing you to succeed too. Joshua was telling these Israelites, he was saying, guys, this is too good to keep to yourself. This is too good to just march forward and think that you took ground just for you. He said, this is meant to be shared. You're meant to give some of this away, this plunder that you've got, these, these testimonies that you have. And to the church here today, God's given you opportunities and blessings and potential, and he's brought you here not just for you, but so that you can help other people around you. He's blessed you to be a blessing. In fact, Jesus' first sermon, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 14, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that should not be hidden. In other words, he was saying, You're called to shine bright with God's love. You're called to share what I've given you. The message that I put inside you, it's meant to be shared with other people. I remember when this came alive to me. I was a junior in high school. I was super selfish. I'm the baby of the family. My older siblings, Sarah, Ruthie, John, they were always taking care of me, feeding me, dressing me, helping me. Praise God, I started dressing myself as I turned like 10 years old. But the main thing is I was always letting people take care of me. I was, I was selfish. <laughs> My junior year, a girl that I liked, she called me. Her name was Ashley Hope McAuliffe. She later on became Ashley Hope Doherty. But she called me that, that week, and I remember she invited me to something her brother, her older brother Justin, was doing with a bunch of ORU friends. She said, hey, my older brother and a bunch of his friends at ORU, they're getting together this Friday night. They're going to go and do a bunch of fun stuff, and they've invited us to join them. 
She didn't really tell me what it was, but immediately I was excited. The girl that I liked, my first college party, I was stoked. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was like, I am in. Whatever we're doing, I'm all in. So I show up there that night, and I walk into this room. There's over 100 college students on their knees, praying, interceding in tongues. They're praying loud in tongues. They're shouting these prayers, and, and, and they're crying, and they're listening to worship music on a CD player. And I'm looking at these college students, and they're dressed really cool, and they look really cool, and they're really popular, but it was like they threw out the cool card, and they were just praying and worshiping Jesus. But I was so shocked to see these college students on a Friday night doing this. And then they left the room, and they said, let's go. And so me and Ashley hopped in one of their cars, and I felt cool. I was with college students, and that night we went to McDonald's. We bought over 100 burgers, cheeseburgers, off the dollar menu rolling on a budget, and we went downtown, and we began to pass out burgers, and we began to pray for the sick, we began to lead people to Jesus that night. It was one of the most amazing experiences. Something was changing in me. I was shifting from selfishness to selflessness. There was, there was this shift. I had always written down goals at the beginning of my year, and my goals were good. I would write down goals like, I want to make this much money this year in my lawn business. I want to save this much money that I make. And I want to read this many chapters in the Bible. And I want to spend this much time praying. But the only problem was there were some goals that were missing. And I hadn't written down any goals of what I wanted to do to help other people win. And I realized I was living very selfish. And that night my heart started breaking for our city. I started crying for Tulsa. I started realizing, God, you love all these people. And you want to use me? What a privilege that you want to use me and anybody who's willing to be used to help other people take ground. And that weekend, people got saved. People got healed. Revival was happening. And here's why I tell you this story. Some of us are praying for revival. We're waiting for revival. And others of us are just in the middle of revival. We're just in the stream, man. We're swimming. Revival is happening. You might miss it because you think it's something else. I'm telling you, open your eyes. The harvest is ripe. It's time to get in the revival that God is doing. And church, I want to invite you this year not just to live, but to thrive this year. To thrive this year. Jackie Robinson said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. You can make a living this year. Many people will. Get a job, make tons of money, or make just enough money to pay the bills. That's our living. But I want to invite you on an adventure of a lifetime, that every week you would look for opportunities to help somebody win, to give something to someone who could never pay you back, because that's where real life begins. You want to take ground this year? Help somebody else take ground. You want to succeed this year? Help somebody else succeed. You want to win this year? Help somebody else win. Who can never pay you back because when you do something for somebody else, God takes care of the needs that are in your life. I remember a church planter telling me he was trying to find a place to plant a church and he said, I should only plant a church where there's a supply there. And it hurt me when he said that. Because he said, I should only go where someone could take care of it and make it work. And I go, wait a minute, God. 
Maybe I'm foolish and maybe I'm naive, but I only want to plant a church where there's a need. Because if I'll go where the need is, you'll take care of the supply. I don't ever want to be fixed on what somebody can pay me back for. I only want to do what you've called me to do and go where there's a need, go where there's hurting people to bring help. God wants you to look for the need. See a need and meet it. See a hurt and heal it. God wants you to live this year, like really live this year by helping others take ground. What holds us back from helping others take ground? I think sometimes it's busyness. We're too busy. We're too busy to stop and help somebody else. My dad one day was going to teach a Bible, Bible school class here in Tulsa, and along the way to the class, this woman stopped him, and he was already one minute late because the meeting he was in prior to that had gone long, and my dad's very time conscious. He had to get to places on time. But this woman stopped him before the class, and she's crying. And she goes, Pastor Billy Joe, Pastor Billy Joe, I'm hurting. They turned off my electricity. And she began to tell him everything she was going through, a single-parent mom. She said, would you pray for me? And my dad was overcoming in his mind that he had to be somewhere, but he knew this was more important than getting there on time. And so he stopped, and he began to pray for her. And after he prayed, she's crying. She said, I'm so sorry. I made you late. I made you late. And he goes, no, don't apologize. They can wait. They have to wait. I'm the pastor. (laughs) And guys, I'm telling you, sometimes we are so busy trying to take our own ground that we're missing the people along the path, divine interruptions, that God's called you to detour their destiny back to Jesus. God's called you to be the person in their path that if you would just for a second slow down and show compassion like the Good Samaritan, you could change someone's world. Joshua never would have been the leader that he became if it wasn't for Moses encouraging him. See, sometimes we wait to believe in somebody until they succeed. But people need us to believe in them before they succeed. That's the only way they're going to succeed. It's like stockbrokers. They know the best time to invest in a stock is when it's low. Buy low. Buy low, sell high. If you'll buy low and see the potential of that stock, what it's going to become, you'll gain a whole lot more. Imagine when the sun goes down, being in utter darkness. For 1.3 billion people across the world, this is a reality. Today, you have the opportunity to be part of the solution. This year, we are bringing light to these villages. Light for reading, light for cooking, light for family time. But most importantly, we're also bringing the light of the gospel. Your gift today makes stories like this possible. Every donation helps bring light to people in darkness, light for their homes, and light for their souls. Because with every physical light we give away, each family will also receive a salvation mini-book with the story of Jesus, the true light of the world. Would you join with us today? Go to pauldoherty.org to help or call 1-800-760-2360. Together, we can and we will make a difference. There's a story about this wealthy man, true story. He was driving a a brand-new truck he had just bought off the the car lot, and he had to drive through a poor part of town, and he wanted to go fast through this poor part of town because he didn't want to feel bad and didn't want to stop to give anybody money, and so he was driving a little bit faster than the speed limit, and then it got into a slow area where he was passing by some homes. This little boy ran out to the front of the yard trying to wave the man down in the truck. Stop, mister! Stop! The man just tried to pretend like he didn't see him looking the other way. The little boy picked up a brick, 
chunks it at the truck, dents the side of his brand new truck. The businessman slams on the brakes, jumps out of the truck, and he says, you juvenile, you're going to pay for this or go to jail. Little boy started crying. I'm sorry. My mom's dying in our house, and our phone's been cut off, and I don't have a way to call a doctor, and I just need you to call a doctor. I'll go to jail, but please call a doctor. My mom's spitting up blood. The businessman felt ashamed. He was a doctor. And he said, I'm a doctor. Where's your mom? The little boy walked the doctor through the house. The man saw this woman spitting up blood, dying in the room. He knew exactly what needed to be done to save her life. And he did it right then. And the little boy looked at him and he said, is my mama going to live? And he said, yeah, your mom's going to live. And he said, then it was worth it. I'll go to jail. I'm sorry I hurt your truck. The doctor began to cry and repented. He said, no, I'm the one who needs to apologize. And this is what he wrote down. He said this. Don't go through life so fast that someone has to throw a brick to get your attention. God whispers in our souls and He speaks to our hearts. Sometimes when we don't have time to listen, He has to throw a brick to get our attention. It's our choice. Listen to His whisper or wait for the brick. Church, one of the best things you can do with your year this year is stop and help somebody win. Help somebody win. It'll change their life, and it'll change your life too. If you're going through depression right now, if you're going through pain right now, one of the best ways to get healed, one of the best ways to get free is to help somebody else even when you're hurting. We live in a world right now, especially in America, where everything is cutthroat competition. At the expense of candidates putting down each other's wives and making fun of their families and constantly criticizing each other. And if we're not careful, we'll watch what's happening in the political climate of our nation right now and we'll let it get into us that we think all that we need to do is get to the top of the mountain even if we have to ignore people along the way or cut them off or criticize them. And church, I'm telling you, the key to really living this year is when you help somebody else get to the mountain with you, when you help somebody else win ahead of you, when you put yourself behind them and say, I'm going to serve this year like Jesus served, like Philippians 2. I'm going to choose to not be selfish, but to take on the mind of Christ and be a servant this year in my workplace, in my house, in my dorm room, at my school, with my friends. I'm going to choose to help others take ground so that I can truly take ground this year too. Martin Luther King Jr. said, most times we don't have time to love because we're so quick to judge. Most times we miss out on loving people so, because we're so quick to judge people. And if this year we could take off the judgmental glasses and put on the glasses of love and see people through the eyes of Jesus, whether they're poor or rich, whether they're black or white, gay or straight, no matter what they're like, Jesus wants to use you this year to help somebody else find hope, to help somebody else find grace, to help somebody else find Jesus. Even if they sin differently than you've sinned, they still need the love of Jesus like Jesus has loved you. And if Jesus loved you when you were in your darkest hour of sin, you can love somebody else the way that he's loved you. Hmm, Jesus. Four things we can do as a church this year to help others take ground. That we wouldn't take this lightly. We wouldn't downplay or 
underestimate the power of helping others take ground and sowing their sowing seeds into people's lives. Number one, the seed of your time. Never underestimate the seed of your time that can help somebody else take ground. Think about the book of Joshua. Never would have been written if Moses didn't spend the time to mentor young Joshua. The seed of Moses spending time talking to Joshua, loving on Joshua, believing in Joshua at a young age. Eventually that seed sprouted 40 years later when Joshua became the leader and Moses was dead. Sometimes our seeds don't take root until we're gone. But just know this, your seed has power. Even, I mean, one of the greatest legacies you can leave is the power of your seeds. Sow time into somebody's life. Train a child up in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. Some of us are only in church today because there was a grandma who spent the time on her knees to pray for us when we least deserved it, when we were the worst, when you were in jail, somebody visited you, and that's why you're here today. Don't underestimate the power of your time. The time that my youth pastor, Danny, whenever I was in 6th, 7th grade, he would spend it with me. He was a very poor college student, had barely enough money to pay to go to Bible school at VBI, BBC, but he would spend time with me and my friends. He'd play video games with us. He'd come and hang out. He'd try to come to our basketball games, and oftentimes his car would break down on the way to our games, and we'd have to come and get our parents to come and help his car get started again, and he'd come and hang out with us. Danny asked me one day, Paul, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a preacher like my daddy. And he said, Paul, I'm going to help you. And each week he'd spend an hour with me crafting a message. And then he would have me preach a sermon just to him. He would take notes and give me points on things to work on. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the time that Danny spent just encouraging me, loving on me, coming to my games. Joshua never would have been the leader that he became if it wasn't for Moses encouraging him. See, sometimes we wait to believe in somebody until they succeed. But people need us to believe in them before they succeed. That's the only way they're going to succeed. It's like stockbrokers. They know the best time to invest in a stock is when it's low. Buy low. Buy low, sell high. If you'll buy low and see the potential of that stock, what it's going to become, you'll gain a whole lot more. And it's the same thing with people. That we would see potential in people before they graduate, before they're up on stage, before they're on TV, before they do anything great. That we would see greatness inside of people. Number two, never underestimate the seed of your words. Your words have power to propel people into their future. Your words have power to bring people into their destiny. Moses laid his hands on Joshua and spoke a blessing over him, and the people respected Joshua because of what Moses said about him. Joshua never would have had the respect from the people if it wasn't for Moses speaking the words over him. I wouldn't be up here today if it wasn't for my mom laying hands on me and Ashley and speaking words over us and encouraging us and believing in us. And my grandma and my father with each of my siblings, none of us would be who we are if it wasn't for the words that were spoken into our souls that we grab hold of. There's a plan for my life. I was at the Victory Christian School and this little boy ran up to me named Shadrach. And he said, Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul, I'm called to be an evangelist and a preacher and a pastor like you. Tears welled up. I said, Shadrach, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And God said, Paul, call him up on stage during the message. So I called Shadrach up there, seven-year-old Shadrach. I said, boys and girls, Shadrach's got a great call on his life. 
So do you, boys and girls. No matter what God's called you to do, whether it's doctor, businessman, nurse, or coach, or teacher, whatever it is, pastor, missionary, God's got a calling on your life. Each one of the boys and girls prayed over Shadrach. Then we prayed over each other. I began to speak words over others. Even just this last year, I took my son Liam over here to the legacy wall that has pictures of my dad and pictures of my dad preaching to a crowd and his shoes are down at the bottom over here in the legacy wall. And I was with Liam there just looking at the wall and I was speaking over Liam. Liam, God's got a calling on your life. See, what one generation does for us, we do for the next generation. The gift goes on. Joshua understood if we don't pass this along, the next generation is going to miss out on what God's called them to do. And I wonder if Moses helped Joshua because somebody helped Moses. When Moses was weak and he couldn't help himself, he was a baby in a basket. He should have been aborted. He was a foster child looking for a foster parent. And this daughter in Pharaoh's palace was walking towards the river where there were alligators snapping. And she said, somebody get that basket. There's potential in that basket. There's potential in that basket. And they grabbed the basket and inside it was a baby Hebrew boy. Everybody knew we were killing the Hebrew boys. That's what they were doing in Egypt back then. It was genocide. It was terrible. They were killing any boy under the age of two, any baby boy. But this girl, she said, no, not this one not this one. There's something special on this boy's life. I'm going to call him Moses. Little did she know that one day, 80 years later, Moses would be the deliverer for Israel. You never know what your words and your time can do for somebody. Number three, never underestimate the seed of your money. I'm telling you, there's power in your finances. You never lose when you help others win. Isn't that a powerful statement? I'm not the one who made it up. Somewhere along history, that statement kept being repeated. You never lose when you help others win. You never lose when you help others win. And my challenge for you, for me, for all of us, is that we would help others win. That we wouldn't just take ground for ourselves this year, in this season of our life, but that we would help others take ground. Who could you encourage right now? Who could you text? call, send an email to, go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, send them something encouraging and say, hey, I'm going to help you win. I'm going to do whatever I can as your friend, as your relative to believe in you and encourage you towards your dreams. I'm telling you, it's one of the best feelings in the world when you encourage somebody else, when you help somebody else who just doesn't think they can do it and you come up alongside of them and you help them win. You never lose when you help others win. Pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I want to treat others the way that you've treated me, with love and compassion. Holy Spirit, I need you. God, have your way in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, you surrendered to Jesus. Welcome to the family of believers. But secondly, you open your heart for the Holy Spirit to work in you and work through you to help those people that are around you to help other people take ground. This message has been a powerful message in our church. I've heard so many people come to me and say, Paul, if it wasn't for those messages, I wouldn't have that motivation inside me to get up and take ground in my life and also to look out for others who are looking to take ground as well and help them. We want to give this message to you for free. All you got to do is go to our website right now, pauldoherty.org, 
or call the number on the screen. You can go to the website or call the number and let us know that you want this message. We'll send it to you for free. Give this message to a friend, a family member, a relative, and say, hey, I believe in you, and I'm in your corner, and I want to encourage you that you can take ground this year. We want to send this message to you, so go to the website, call that number. Thanks again for watching today. Thank you for supporting this ministry. We couldn't help people take ground if it wasn't for your generosity, believing in the gospel, believing in this vision. So thank you so much. I love you. We love you. We're praying for you, and your best days are still in front of you. Imagine when the sun goes down, being in utter darkness. For 1.3 billion people across the world, this is a reality. No light to read, work, or spend time with their loved ones. And at night, wood or charcoal fires in the house put families in danger of death by house fire or indoor pollution. But together, we can make a difference. Today, you have the opportunity to be part of the solution. This year, we are bringing light to these villages. Light for reading, light for cooking, light for family time. But most importantly, we're also bringing the light of the gospel. Thank you for the man. Ah. Yeah. Life in the natural and the spiritual. Your gift today makes stories like this possible. Every donation helps bring light to people in darkness, light for their homes, and light for their souls. Because with every physical light we give away, each family will also receive a salvation mini book with the story of Jesus, the true light of the world. Thank you for your support. Every time you give a light to a family in need, you're giving the light of hope. And each time they turn on their light, it will serve as an amazing reminder of that message, how the light of the world came for them. Would you join with us today? Go to pauldoherty.org to help or call 1-800-760-2360. Together, we can and we will make a difference. Christ follower, Christ comes into your life, but then he wants to remodel your whole life. He starts a construction project. Hillsong Church Global, the best teaching from Hillsong Sunday services across the globe. Sydney. For some of you who still think God is a distant dictator, a despot in heaven, you're going to have a revelation this year. Los Angeles. That no matter what's true of the king is true of you, what's true of the father is true of you, you become heir of that. London, this is a personal relationship that I have with him that I'm stepping into life and living my life out of a personal relationship. New York. The more we're around Jesus and we're led by the Holy Spirit, the less we should put our little framework on people's lives when God is at work all the time. Practical, Bible-based teaching that will encourage you in your every day. That's how salvation works. The breakdown is you going, I can't do this. All right here on the Hillsong Channel. Well, the Hillsong Channel is such a blessing to us and the opportunity to take television around the world. We're excited that the team that's with us and this is growing. By team, I mean you. And I would love you to become part of a subscription 
where we will send you a team box. In other words, every month you will get all sorts of books, resources, information that will help you to feel like you're part of our team and will help us to take this great message forward. Introducing the Hillsong Team Box, an exclusive monthly subscription that delivers everything Hillsong directly to your door. Here's how it works. Each month, we'll send you the Hillsong Team Box full of exclusive resources at 50% off, free shipping in the U.S., and no hidden fees. A combination of worship, books, t-shirts, apparel, devotionals, and more. Join a group of people across the globe who are bringing the hope of Jesus to humanity. Visit hillsong.com forward slash team to join today. Bible were ordinary and flawed just like you and me. They just chose to place their ordinary imperfect faith in an extraordinary God who did extraordinary and amazing things through them. And we have that same choice today. We have the same God. And they also cooperated with God's faith-building process. faith-building challenge as we're building our faith muscles strong so we can break through barriers and experience God's miracles in our lives. Because the key to seeing God do great things in your life is faith. But there's a faith-building process that God will take you through again and again throughout your life. We have this misconception that the heroes of the Bible had this perfect, extraordinary faith that they're almost superhuman heroes with supernatural powers, and nothing could be further from the truth. The great men and women of faith in the Bible were ordinary and flawed, just like you and me. They just chose to place their ordinary, imperfect faith in an extraordinary God who did extraordinary and amazing things through them. And we have that same choice today. We have the same God and they also cooperated with God's faith-building process. These obstacles that he takes you through, and you can't skip an obstacle, you can't skip an apparatus, he takes you through to build up your faith, to raise you up, to raise up his name. And we're going to look at a guy in the Old Testament today, Joseph, who had a very imperfect faith at first, a very immature faith, but then God takes him through his faith-building process. And God breaks Joseph down so that he can build him up and then raise him up to have a faith that changes destinies. Now, Joseph started out as an ordinary, arrogant, spoiled, normal teenager. <laughs> we first learn of Joseph when he's 17 years of age, and his father loves him more than his father loves Joseph's brothers. And so Joseph's brothers hated him for that, and they sold him into the slave trade and went back and told their father a wild animal had eaten him. And you thought your family was a little bit dysfunctional. I mean, this ought to make you feel more encouraged. He's a 17-year-old 
brash and arrogant teenager who comes from a dysfunctional family, but yet God takes this immature faith, sends him through his faith-building process, and he comes out a giant of faith on the other end. So I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. And because we see as God broke him down and built him up and raised him up to second in command in all of Egypt so that he could save his family and the future people of Israel from destruction, from the famine, his brothers unknowingly have to come back in front of him. And you know the story. And he reveals here in this passage who he is. It's the great reveal. He reveals that I'm Joseph, your brother. I'm not dead. You probably thought I was dead and gone, but I'm alive and God has worked a miracle. And you can see in his response to his brothers that he no longer has an immature, arrogant faith. He has a mature faith that changes destinies. And so that's why I wanted you to focus in on this passage in Genesis chapter 45, beginning with verse 4. So would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodlands Church? And I want to welcome all you guys worshiping with us at our satellite campuses and everyone worshiping with us through our online and broadcast ministry around the world and all you guys in the Woodlands. And we are built on God's Word, we're based on God's Word. It's the only thing that can change our lives. And so just follow along with me. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. I love those last two words, but God. God has a plan for your life. You may be going through the obstacles and you may have hit a wall. It's all part of God's plan. Every problem has a purpose. God still has a plan and he wants to do miracles in your life. See, Joseph says to his brothers, I didn't get it at first. I didn't know what God was up to. I couldn't see it clearly, but now I know God had a plan all along. God was just taking me through his faith-building process the whole time because he wanted to break down my pride to build me up so I could lift him up and he'd give me a faith that changes destinies. And God wants to give you a faith that changes destinies. And I want us to look at these obstacles, this, these stages that Joseph went through because it's the same stages God will bring you through again and again in your life. And it always starts with the faith-forming stage. God begins to form a faith in your heart. And when God begins to form a faith in your heart, he always starts by putting a dream in your heart. In Genesis 35, or 37, verse 5, the first part of the verse, it says, Joseph had a dream. So Joseph, this arrogant 17-year-old from a dysfunctional family, has a dream placed in his heart by God. And the dream begins to change him. And the dream shapes his destiny, because that's what dreams do. But here in this phase, it's so important to let God form the dream and to firm up the faith that's in your heart. It's so important to let God clarify the dream before you communicate the dream. And in this time, you want to spend time with God. You want to focus in on God. You want to listen to God's still small voice and get into his word. In fact, 
if you really want to find your voice, you need to shut up and let God speak to you. If you're really going to live your authentic life message, you first have to get a message from God and let God begin to work in your heart. And in this stage, it's so important to make sure your whole life is committed to God. Because if your life is not committed to God, that dream may not be from God. It may just be a selfish ambition. And if your life is not totally committed to God, it's in this stage that you'll get off track. And you may settle for the American dream instead of God's dream for your life. And those two are completely different things. The American dream is the comfort zone. And we said last week the comfort zone is your death zone. Because you were never made to live a comfortable life. You were made to live a passionate life. You need to be in the faith zone where your soul comes alive, stepping out in faith, taking risks in faith, believing God for all that he wants you to believe him for. And so God will do just about anything because he loves you so much to kick you out of your comfort zone, bring you alive into the faith zone. So you want to make sure that you're totally committed to God. So it's not a selfish ambition. It's God's dream. Then you listen to God. You spend time with God. Then you talk to mentors and encouragers. You've got to have a few people in your life that encourage you, that build you up. Some wise people you can talk to the dream about, people who have gone before you. And that's why it's so great to be part of a church family, the body of Christ, so you can get encouragement. But Joseph, in his immaturity, he was spiritually immature, he shares the dream too early. In Genesis 37.5, it says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So Joseph, in his immaturity and pride tells the dream to his brothers and brags about the dream and they almost kill him and so the dream is almost killed before it even gets started and a lot of dreams have been killed by dream killers because they've been shared too soon to the wrong people there are a lot of dream killers out there and they try to kill your dream because they never went for the dreams that god placed on their life so when you start stepping out in faith going for the things that god has placed in your heart then they want to kill it because they never went for the dreams God placed in their heart. There are a lot of dream killers out there. That's why you don't need to hang around the dream killers. Hang around some dream encouragers. Well, he shares it too early. And in this faith-forming stage, you want to let God clarify the dream before you communicate the dream. Let God work in your heart. Hide yourself before you show yourself and spend time with God. And let him begin to form the dream. But then you have to come to a place where you step out in faith. There's got to come a time in this faith-forming stage where you take a step of faith. And you go for it. Now, the good news is God never asked you to take a blind leap of faith. In fact, I didn't say God wants you to do something great and grand for him. No, God never asked us to do something great and grand for him. He just asked us to take small steps of obedience so he can do something great and grand in us and then through us. And so our job is not to do something great for God. Our job is to take small steps of obedience. Believe God for big things, obey God in the small things, and praise God in all things. Our job is to take a step of obedience, and then another step, and then another step, and another step, and before you know it, you're where you never dreamed you could be. It's God's job to deliver the results. It's my job just to be obedient to Him and believe that He can do it as I take these steps. A lot of dreams die with people because they never take that one little step of faith. There has to come a time where you take that step of faith and then God begins to come through. But when you take the step of faith, you move into the 
second stage of God's faith-building process that it will take you through again and again, and that's the character-building stage. After you step out in faith and you're so excited, then you get to have problems and difficulties and trials and obstacles and walls and delays. You get in the waiting rooms of life. That's because God begins to grow our character to match our calling. And maybe you thought you were waiting on God to come through for you, and God's waiting on you to grow in your character strong enough to match the calling. Nothing more pathetic than seeing someone in a position of calling, in a, in a position of influence, but their character doesn't match it. And so many times, God will allow me to go through this character-building stage so that my character catches up to the calling. And that's what happened with Joseph. He wasn't ready for the dream. He was spiritually immature. His character needed to be built. And so God allowed him to go through the character-building stage. In fact, in Psalm 105:19, it says, Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. That's because God cares more about who the dream makes you than where the dream takes you. God cares so much more about who the dream makes you than where the dream takes you. We get, so, we get so concerned about the destination. And God is more concerned about our destiny. He's more concerned about our character. And so he allows the problems and pain into our lives at times to chip away the rough edges that don't look like Jesus. Because he knows for the miracle to take place, I need to be more like Jesus. And that's the greatest miracle of all, a transformed life. For God builds our character and makes us more like his sons. Still to come with Pastor Kerry Shuck. See, it's so easy for us to get our selfishness and our pride mixed in with God's dream, and, and God has to filter out the pride, and he uses problems to strip us of our pride. God works his greatest miracles at the dead end stage, and that's where God works his miracles. When we give up and say, God, I have to surrender to you, and the dead end stage can become the surrender stage. Struggling with feelings of doubt and uncertainty? Are you afraid of what the future holds? The world we live in may be filled with uncertainty, but there is one who you can be certain in, Jesus Christ. To encourage you in this season, Pastor Carrie has put together a brand new inspirational DVD series titled Jesus for President that gives a refreshing, eye-opening perspective on the character of Christ and how he desires to lead you in his promises for your life. As our way of saying thank you for your faithful support of our ministry this month, we would like to send you this four-part DVD series along with a commemorative tumbler as a gift. Don't wait to claim this special offer. Give us a call today, toll-free at 844-34-CARRIE, or visit us online at carryshook.org. There's nothing like waking up every morning to a warm drink and finding encouragement to be able to stand strong on the promises that God has for you. So call 844-34-CARRY now to receive this gift. That's 844-34-CARRY. Or visit us online at carryshook.org. Call or click today. Well, Joseph's father loved him more than his brothers. You know the story. And so he made for him this coat of many colors, this regal robe. And the coat sort of represented Joseph's dream. It was a royal robe, and Joseph was, in the dream, would be royal. It was a robe of influence, and Joseph was going to be the leader of many people. 
And Joseph loved that coat. And he wore that coat proudly. And it, it was sort of represented Joseph's pride, his coat of pride, a coat of ego, a coat of selfishness that was mixed up into God's dream. And so Joseph would wear this coat proudly around his brothers. And the father didn't make a coat for any of the other brothers. It was just Joseph. And Joseph would wear it around kind of reminding them, hey, I'm the special one here. And it was all tied up in his dream. And Joseph would go around bragging to his brothers about the dream. Hey, guys, I had that dream from God again last night. It was amazing. Have you ever heard someone want to tell you about their dream and it just goes on and on and on and you don't really care? Yeah. That's what this was. Okay. In fact, he said things like, it was an amazing dream from God. I had it again. And, and the dream is, guys, I'm going to be a great leader. And I'm going to be this amazing leader. And everyone is going to come and bow down to me. And you guys were bowing down to me. It was awesome. Well, they didn't think it was awesome. In fact, here's what they did in Genesis 37, verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. So when Joseph came to his brothers... They stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a cistern. Underline that phrase, they stripped him of his robe. See, that coat represented the pride that was in Joseph's life, and they stripped it from him. And, folks, you better know the difference between your coat and the dream. A big difference between your coat and the dream. They stole Joseph's coat, but no one could steal the dream. If the dream is from God, no one can take it away. No one can change it. But there have been many times in my life where God has allowed my coat to get stolen, my coat of pride, my coat of ego, my coat of selfishness. See, it's so easy for us to get our selfishness and our pride mixed in with God's dream, and, and God has to filter out the pride, and he uses problems to strip us of our pride. It's the obstacles and the problems that come into our lives, the trials that bring us to our knees that allow us to see that we need God. And he uses that to strip our coat of pride off of us so it's just God's dream for his glory and for our good because he knows what's best for us. There'll be many times in your life where people will steal your coat, but they can never steal the dream. I had my coat stolen many times, but no one can ever steal the dreams that God has placed in your heart. But then I want you to see temptation strips away everything but my integrity. See, Joseph lost another coat along the way. After he was sold into slavery, he became a slave in a guy named Potiphar's house. And Potiphar saw that he was trustworthy, so he places Joseph over the whole household. So he's managing Potiphar's household, and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. Think how easy that would have been to give in. Here's Joseph in a foreign country. No one knows who he is. There's no one around to hold him accountable. No one around who worships his God. It's been so easy for him to give in to temptation. No one would have probably ever known. But he says, no, I can't do that because your husband trusts me and because I love God. But she keeps persisting. And in Genesis 39, 11, it says, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Underline that word ran, because that's what the Bible says we're to do when we're faced with temptation. We're to flee. We're to get out of the situation. We're to be humble enough to admit that I'm not spiritually strong enough to stay in that situation. That's spiritual, mature, spiritual maturity there. 
Instead of saying, I'm so spiritually mature, I can just handle this situation. No, spiritual maturity is saying, I humbly admit that I can't be in this situation. I've got to get out of here. I can't put myself in that place. I've got to get out of here. And so he ran. But as he ran, the scripture says she grabbed his coat and tore it off as he ran away. So he loses another coat. This guy's always losing coats. That's the theme of Joseph's life. He lost his coat again, but he didn't lose his integrity. Well, in this character-building stage, you face problems and temptations and delays and difficulties, but then you move to the third stage, the selfless surrender stage. That's where you finally hit a dead end. And Joseph here does the right thing. He resists temptation, but he's falsely accused, thrown into prison, and there he's completely forgotten. It looks like the dream to be a great deliverer is dead. And God always takes us to the dead end stage before deliverance. Some of you are at the dead end stage right now and you think the dream has died. Many times God will let the dream die so he can resurrect it and it's all his dream for his glory and your best. Mm -hmm. But every time God allows you to get into the dead end stage where it looks like it's dead. And so if you're at the dead end stage, the miracle is just around the bend. I mean, you've made it all the way to the dead end stage. That's good news. God works his greatest miracles at the dead end stage, and that's where God works his miracles. When we give up and say, God, I have to surrender to you, and the dead end stage can become the surrender stage. Well, there we see Joseph in the prison, and he's with another guy who is the cupbearer of King Pharaoh, and he falls out of um, favor with the king, and he's thrown into prison. There he meets Joseph, and the cupbearer has a dream. And Joseph interprets the dream for him and says, it means you're going to come back into favor with Pharaoh. He's going to bring you back into the palace to serve him again. So the guy's real excited. And then Joseph says, and when you get back to the palace, remember me and tell the Pharaoh about me. And the guy says, you can count on it. You're amazing, Joseph. <laughs> you can count on me. And then here's what happens in Genesis 40:23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Underline those three sad words. He forgot him. Joseph spends two years in prison, and I'm sure he felt completely forgotten. And maybe you feel completely forgotten today, that no one knows what you're going through. God has not forgotten you, and God has not forgotten the dream that he's placed in your heart that's been buried by an avalanche of problems and trials and pain. And God wants to resurrect that dream. And God specializes in resurrections. He loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections, and so... Maybe you feel like you're forgotten. God will never forget you. The Bible says that he has written your name on the palm of his hands. He remembers you, and he has not forgotten the dream. Well, Joseph felt like he was forgotten, but it was here in this forgotten place that God builds his faith so strong because Joseph surrenders totally. He gives up. There's nothing he can do other than give up to God and trust God. He's obeyed. And now he's leaving the results to God. And it's during this stage when you'll either surrender or you'll get bitter. There's so many times when Joseph could have become bitter because he was hurt over and over again. He was wronged over and over again. He could have become bitter so many times, but he knew that bitterness would destroy the dream. And bitterness would destroy him. So he kept choosing to forgive and choosing to forgive because he knew they could keep stealing his coat, but they could not steal the dream from God. And in Genesis 50:20, the whole story comes to this. 
where he says this to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He's saying there's no getting around it, guys. You intended to hurt me bad. You intended to harm me. You pretty much left me for dead. We all know it, so let's admit it. But God intended it for good. And all through your life, there'll be people who hurt you, stab you in the back, people that cause pain in your life, people that wound you deeply, because we're not in heaven yet, folks. And we're in a very broken world, and hurt people hurt people. And we're all hurt and broken, and we hurt each other. There'll be many times in your life where people will intend to hurt you. But God can take that hurt, and he can bring good out of it. God can take it and turn it into good, because there's no hurt that can derail God's purpose in your life. There is no pain that can stop God's purpose in your life. God's plan for your life cannot be stopped by any problem. No one can stop it. No one can deny it. No one can derail it. No one can thwart God's purpose for your life. And every problem has a purpose. Sometimes we just can't see it. Well, there were times when Joseph could have chosen bitterness, but he kept choosing to forgive. And he surrendered to God. God, it's in your hands. You know what's best. I don't see it, but I know you're a good God. I trust you were encouraged and helped by today's teaching, and that's our objective with these broadcasts, to really bring the truth of God's Word alive for you and present them in both memorable and life-changing ways. There are a few things that Chris and I love more than hearing from you, and learning that God has used the unique way we present God's love to part and to change your life. We'd love to hear from you and establish a stronger connection with you. So please continue to think about and pray about the insights that we examined today and let God's Spirit really root them deeply into your heart and do a work of transformation there. And no matter what your circumstances, our loving Heavenly Father will meet you right where you are. He loves you so much. And if you want to go even deeper into these truths, here's a simple but powerful way that you can do that. Just watch this. Are you struggling with feelings of doubt and uncertainty? Are you afraid of what the future holds? The world we live in may be filled with uncertainty, but there is one who you can be certain in, Jesus Christ. To encourage you in this season, Pastor Kerry has put together a brand new inspirational DVD series titled Jesus for President that gives a refreshing, eye-opening perspective on the character of Christ and how he desires to lead you in his promises for your life. As our way of saying thank you for your faithful support of our ministry this month, we would like to send you this four-part DVD series along with a commemorative tumbler as a gift. Don't wait to claim this special offer. Give us a call today, toll-free at 844-34-CARRY or visit us online at carryshook.org. There's nothing like waking up every morning to a warm drink and finding encouragement to be able to stand strong on the promises that God has for you. So call 844-34-CARRY now to receive this gift. That's 844-34-CARRY. Or visit us online at carryshook.org. Call or click today. I hope you enjoyed the message today and... It's always a message 
of hope in Jesus Christ, our only hope. And if you've never received him, you can do that right now, right where you are. You can just say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And I want you to be the Lord of my life from now on. And if you pray that prayer, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And you'll be starting the great adventure, the journey of living for Jesus. Call us right now. Let us know about that. And we love you. And God bless you. Thank you for joining us today and being a part of the Carrie Ship Ministries.
Let me go on mute for a couple of seconds while I go get in the car. I don't want to be loud and obnoxious. You got to drive to work. <laughs> Shut up. I'm going to Walmart to buy me some sweatpants for these kids to hit. No problem. Um, give me a couple of minutes as we get to start them list, and that's for hours. So hold on. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Emil, anybody else on? Well, I guess I'll open up in prayer. Rambourandi to go say she 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 to Horandi de Gose, Harambokosa, Yarakustande, Shandrosaka, Haramboke, Shirakosa, Sandraka, Harambrande de Gose, Shirakose, Yes, 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 Father God, Yarakumbo, Shirakose, Shirakose, Yes, 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 Holy Spirit, Harandi de Gosaka, Horombose, Randekasa, Horombose, Harambraka, Horombose, Shiraganda, Horombose, Shirakase, Shindrasa, Horomboko, Shirakrande, Koseke, Horande, Shirakose, 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 Yonder, Shirakose, 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 Horombrande, Shirakose, 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 Yes, 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 Father God, Yander the Gosatra, Kartaka, Horombosi the Gosashi the Gosay, Yander the Gosashi the Gosandraka, Horombosi the Gosashi the Gosay, Yerombrandi the Gosashi the Gosashi the Gosashi the Gosashi the Gosay, Yerombrandi the Gosashi the Gosashi the Gosashi the Gosay. Ha, Kanye the Gobrasa, Dishi the Gosaka, Hunter the Gosashi the Gosashi the Gosashi the Grandra Gosaka. Yes,ยอสเปียนนะรกสักการันดีชิลกุสเซชิลกุสเซชิลกุสเซชิลกุสซาฮะยันเดรกุสักการันดีชิลกุสเซชิลกุสเซชิลกุสเซชิลกุส
We glorify you, Lord. Yaka Rambo Seke, Harandrande Kosaka. Holy Spirit, speak, speak, speak. Harambo Krandeke, Harambrandeke, Harambro Seke, Harambrandeke, Harambo Seke, Harambrandeke, Speak, speak, speak. Mm. Woo, Father God, yes. Yes, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Father. Yes, 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 Lord. Yes, there God. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Father. Yes, Father God. We praise your name, Lord. We glorify you, Holy Spirit. Come forth. Come forth and move, Lord. Come forth and move, Lord. Come forth and move. Yes, 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 yes. Haram Brande Kese. Let the power of God begin to flow. Let the anointing of God begin to pour forth. Ha, pour forth, Lord. As your combo go, come and touch your people. Come and touch your people, Lord. Come and touch your people, Daddy God. Ha, yara rokomboko. Come and touch your people, God. Yandrasi rokoseke. Come and touch your people, Daddy God. Randasi rokoseke. Come and touch your people. Come and touch your people. Come and touch your people. Minister to us, Lord. Rambose, Yarandeke, Brondesaka, Ramboko, Brosekande. Hmm. Let the noise begin to pour forth, Daddy God. As the word enters in, Lord. Let the power of God come forth, Lord. As the word enters in, as you continue to move in the capacity that you want to be moved, Lord, go forth, Lord. Go forth, Daddy God. Go forth, Lord. Go forth, Lord. Randy the Kose, Randy the Kosaka, 
Curăște, regostește, 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 Horandish, it'll go say, it'll go say. Yes, 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 as the power guy enters in. Continue, Holy Spirit. Rombos, it'll go say, continue, Father. Rombrand, it'll go say, continue, Rombrand, it'll be our God, to be our covering, it'll be our all in all. Yeah, Rombos, it'll go say, come forth, Holy Spirit. Ooh, Lord, yes. Transformation, 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 transformation. Rambishi Rambos, Rakandana, transformation. Transformation. Yes, that God. Needs to be going. Oh, so you exercise? Uh huh. 
Yeah, I remember that. That's about all I can say at this point. Yeah, memories all alone in the moonlight. Yeah, I remember. That's about all I can say. Yeah. I got to go up here and get me some sweatpants because I want to be comfortable today. I don't necessarily want to wear jeans. But I can't I can't wear yoga pants because, well, I am endowed in certain areas that just doesn't work when you have a school full of boys. So I, can't. I mean, it's the truth. I, I'm being honest. I can't. I can't wear no, I can't do that. That would be so inappropriate. Yeah, Miss Butler. You know, um, you know what Miss McNeil always teases me about, you know, the part, there's a part in, in Friday, I guess, when the lady across, I guess there's a lady across the street. Mm-hmm. Who is like, you know, scantily clad and pretty or whatever, and she comes out and all the neighborhood kids be like, hey, Miss Turner, or hey, Miss whatever, Parker. Parker. Hey, hey Miss Parker. Parker. Yep, she said, she always sees me. She said the kids would come out and be like, hey, Miss Butler. Mm-hmm. Like, shut up. Mm-hmm. Shut up. Well, we're going to learn today. Yeah, <laughs> y'all make me sick. So I can't wear, I can't wear. Well, you know, I would normally just wear a long t-shirt and yoga pants, but you know, t-shirts ride up in the back, so I, I can't. I gotta go get some sweat. Uh huh. Can I'm you like, go to the board again? Can you go to the board again? Can you go to the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. I can't because I done caught a couple of them just like looking dreamy eyed. I said, okay, I can't, I can't, I can't. I just really cannot. <laughs> so let me go on to get some big old sweatpants. Uh-huh. So we can just not have these types of issues. They already, some of them are already years behind in reading and math. I don't need any distractions at all. None. Learn None. that biology, though. Look at here. You want to pray, dear? Yeah, I'm going before I go in. Go right ahead. Let one go. In the prayer department. You're right, silly. All right, gracious and heavenly Father, this morning we say thank you. Thank you for another opportunity that you have yet again allowed us to see another day, that you've allowed us to come together to laugh and to share and to learn and to teach and to be transparent and to just and to just walk boldly and fearlessly in our goals and our destinies and in our purpose. We just thank you that that as we arise this morning, we have the activity of our lens and we are able to just kind of 
just kind of come together and and bask in the beauty and bask in that which you will have for us to do and be as the holiday season approaches us. We ask for your safety and your covering for ourselves, for any of those who may be traveling, for our family, for our friends, our loved ones. We ask that even though there are many who do not believe in celebrating this holiday, as I know many who don't, just the overall spirit of gratitude and thankfulness, we just ask that you just open up our hearts to receive that, to to meditate on that spirit of gratitude, to to um, remind us, to remind us, to remind us, to remind us of who we are as it pertains to you and then who we are to one another. Remind us to be grateful for even the small things, the things small and large. Remind us to to be humble. Remind us to count our blessings on a daily basis. Remind us to be focused and all of those things as the winter comes and many times as the winter approaches. We we're we're more still. We don't move around as much because of the cold. Depending on where we are, we don't um, <clears throat> excuse me. We don't we don't move around as much. We we have more quiet time um, because we spend more time indoors. We're like little hibernating bears, and, and you know. But but that gives us more time to to meditate and to focus. And so in this season, more than ever, we're just asking you to we're just asking you to help us to to see the things that we need to see as far as you are concerned. Whatever they are, we ask for a season of unprecedented clarity, unprecedented uh peace and, and love and joy and boldness and courage to do the things that we that we have been called to do. And we ask for a covering, a, 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 almost like a rubber sheet, so that the darts and the attacks of the enemy will just roll on off. Just roll on off, roll on off. We ask for a new heightened level of spiritual maturity, of spiritual strength, unprecedented, never-before-seen, never-before-experienced growth in this season that, wow, that we just, mm, 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 that we come out of this season changed and a brand new person, newer, higher, and deeper. In Jesus' name, amen.
in there. Anybody else want to pray? Anybody else want to pray? Anybody else want to pray? Now you know it. Oh boy. Well, if not, I'll go get the listeners. Hold on. Uh huh. Thank you. 
I'm back. I don't know who. All right. I'll go ahead and start the list. Morgan Farley, I need to go under the gun. Should have gone say, 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 should have gone say,
Jalen Roy Hushida go say Mo Cat Mo Mo Hushida go say Shida 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 go say Go try to commit suicide. Brandon's kids, 
Man in a wheelchair, push it to go say she 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 William and Anna Phillips, hundred to go say she 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 to Bonita, Harambo, Kote, Karani, Rigo, San, Rasi, Rigo, Seshi, Rigo, Seshi, Rigo, Seshi, Rigo, Sarga, Pandra,
Okay, we got Rosen Hospital in Washington. Rosen Hospital in the community. Hushy to go fish, she to go fish, she to go fish, she to go fish, she to go set a garage. Hushy to go fish, she to go fish, she to go fish, she to set a garage. Hushy to go fish, she to go fish, she to go fish, she to go fish, she to set a garage. Rasaka, set a garage. My parents, who should go say she 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 go
Lisa Big Head Brown. Hush it go say she 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 go say Prasaka Sakara. Leave our roar. Hobu. Yes, Father God. Duru Shirikum Prasaka. Horasiki. Saromboko. Sakara. Dante. Harandi to go say she to go say she to go say she to go say she to go say. Randi to go say she to go say Sakara. New Legacy Academy. Hun Rashi to go say she to go say she. Randi to go Saka. Randi to go say she to go say she. Rashi to go say she to go Sakara. RC. Who should go say she to go say she go say she go say. Who should go say she go say she go say she go say. Rasaka Sakara. Punch Jelly Janakanishan Aiden Charles. Hundred to go to the Gander going to the Gander going to the Gander should go say. Hundred to go to the Gander going to the Gander going to the Gander should go say. Sarka. Markel, Horandi Gosse, Dididid Gosaka, Rashid Gosse, 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 Gorada, Rashid Gosaka, Sakara. Erica's Church, Horashid Gosse, 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 Bussy's family, hundred go say she go say she go say she go say she go saga, hush go say she go say she go say she go saga, rasaga, sakara. The Jenkins family, hush go say she go say she go say she go say she go saga, hush go say she go say she go say she go Brandon Youngblood, Randy will go say she 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 go Saraga, Russia go say she 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 go Saraga, Russia go say she go Saraga, Saraga, Sakara.
cabbage juice. That'll do it to you, baby. Mm. Ooh, Lord. <laughs> okay, we got Brandon out, young blood. Donald Trump, Brandon go sit here, go sit here, go sit here, go sit here. Under the gun, under the gun, under the gun. Rando go sit here, Rando go, Rando go sit here, Ganda. Rosé Pirga, Sakra. Erica's business, go sit here, 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 go sit here. Go sit here, go sit here, Ganda, Sakra. My business, Mbushi, Garande, Kratzaka. Um bush the Randigasa Sakra. Marking Charles the second, Randy Gosisha 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 Gosaga, Russia Gosisha Gosisha Gosaga, Sagasa Sakra. Pastor Mark, Hushi Gosisha 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 Gosaga, Hushi Gosisha Gosisha Gosaga, Sarakasa Sakra. And myself, Randy Gosisha Gosisha Goranda Gosaka, Randy Gosisha Gosisha Goranda Gosa, Rasaga Sakra. And everybody else on the list. Hoshi go sushi go sushi go sushi go sushi go sushi go saga. Hoshi go sushi go sushi go saga. Rasaka sakura. And the last list, but not least list. Bell worship. Humbu bojaka dira rokose ki dira rakam brandi rokose dira rokose ka. Horandi rokose shiri rokose randi rokose shiri kasa daka. Randa go say she 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 go Saraka. Randa go say she go say she go say she go say she go Saraka. Sarakasa Sakara. The Luminati. Rasha go say she go say she go say she go Saraka. Rasha go say she go say she go say she go Saraka. Asaga Sakara. Satanic after school program. Honey, going to the gander, 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 and a crack house. Bush karandi de gasaka. Bush gire de gosaraka. Harambushi gire de gasandra. Harandeka sakara. Alright, that's my fault. If anybody want to do any of us. Going once. Going twice, going three times. The season hospital. Shimmy to go into the Gandhi 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 to go into the Congregation and churches. Hundred to go into the Gandhi to go into the Gandhi to go into the Gandhi to go to Shigosaraka. Hundred to go into the Gandhi to go into the Gandhi to go to Rashi goes to Shigosaraka. Randy goes to Shigosaraka. Sakara. Ooh, the cabbage juice is kicking my butt right now. Whew. Wow. Mm. Oh, okay then. Feel that one. Mm. Woo! Mm. Okay. Well, alrighty then. Ooh, the season hospital should be the fish, the fish, the fish, the fish.
Financial breakthroughs and turnouts. Supernatural superhuman strength. Yeah, the gun, 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 the Twice, three times. All right, it's time for the reading in a little bit. Walled off in your mind that are keeping you from the life that God wants you to live.
Take it old school, baby. Come on.
Download the free Stingray Music mobile app.
when you're feeling alone. Don't be afraid of the things people don't say. Gotta cry to your knees and pray.
All right, all right, all right. It's time to do the reading. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Okay. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Theoretically, world money traders create economic realities. 
More than a trillion dollars are traded every day just in world currency speculations. These traders examine the latest external and internal economic health and determine the value of that nation's currency. They buy currencies that seem to be strengthening and sell currencies that seem to be weakening. A sell-off of a currency can then create its own ripple effect where traders get rid of a currency solely because others are willing to get rid of it. Rumors of perception are as powerful as realities in this world of high finances. Theoretically, this daily activity has more power to determine a nation's financial than any real economic action taking place in that nation. <clears throat> Case in point, Ooh, Lord, here we go, money and wealth, a new millennium. Here we go. All this is just running back to my mind, all the stuff we read in that book. Mm, mm, mm. Case in point, the great Asian economic collapse of 1997 profoundly affected nations like Indonesia, South Korea, Thailand, and Malaysia. For various reasons, world currency traders lost confidence in these economies. It started with one, and then an amazing domino effect began to take place. No one knew when it was going to stop. Its ripples extended worldwide, and eventually Mexico and Brazil were adversely affected. In hindsight, it seems that world currency speculators overreacted to certain reports and trends. In doing so, they threw several nations to a spiral economic crisis. Indonesia's rupiah went from 2,000 to 18,000 per un- 2,000 to 18,000 per U.S. dollars, a 900% devaluation. During that year. 60 million middle to upper class, upper to middle class Indonesians fell below the poverty line. No famine, earthquake, tsunami, or any other tangible event created this cause and effect. This devastation was arguably created by world currency speculations as fears and concerns prompted them to overreact. Mm. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're about to really make me get into this stuff here. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> here he goes. He's getting in it. Okay, this devastation was arguably created by world currency speculators as fears and concerns prompted them to overreact. Though some were accused of currency manipulation conspiring to bring down these national economies, that doesn't appear to be even logistically possible. They simply responded out of their own fear based on certain financial reports. It is important to realize that you can do all the right things to get out of debt, have a solid retirement plan, and keep a good amount of liquid money available and still not be able to compensate for an economic tsunami that comes your way courtesy of these currency traders. Many people in these Asian nations had a personally healthy financial situation and lost it over literally overnight. Many saw a lifetime of economic well-doing get wiped out in a moment through no personal financial mistakes of their own. World traders run these mountains. Mm. Mm. Jesus, really? Mm. World traders run this mountain not by consensus or strategies, but primarily through fears, rumors, and confidence. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay, y'all got that shit of Kumbosa. I'm going to try to finish this before I start talking. It's going to be a little bit. of a challenge, but I'm almost there. World traders also greatly affect economics 
through stocks and shares, especially those traded on Wall Street, just as speculation create overreactions in the currency trade. Daily stocks exchanges can turn volatile at a moment's notice. Traders speculate on the value of a company's stock based on reports, reads on those reports, and future speculations on a trend. Instead of nations, various corporations and businesses are affected, and, of course, individuals and families further down the pike. Enron, for example, collapsed because of discovered that its internal financial health picture had been doctored to look much better than it was. Investors realized they had overvalued their holdings and began selling off their shares. The massive devaluation that resulted caused many to go from financial security <clears throat> Jesus. <laughs> Investors realized they had overvalued their holdings and began to sell off their shares. The massive devaluation that resulted caused many to go from financial security to financial devastation almost overnight. In this case, the crisis seems justified because of the company's internal financial misdeeds, but trade dynamics can also devastate a well-run corporation simply through perceptions and fears. To compound the uncertainty, a company's collapse always causes ripple effects that can potentially topple other businesses. The power of traders is profound. As if these situations weren't troubling enough, Wall Street and other factors, oh, Jesus, <clears throat> hedge funds are not just subject to normal trade regulations. Slush funds manipulate economic outlook. Harder to explain factors such as residuals and derivatives expose the entire economic picture of a house of cards just waiting to be blown over. That's even without going into the potential risk of pol political hot topics like national debt, personal consumer debt, or the fact that the U.S. Social Security system is pretty much a glorified Ponzi scheme that without some kind of overhaul has no mathematical possibility of surviving. <laughs> Thanks in part to the nearly 50 million abortions since ROA that wiped out the next generation of providers for this fund. Though the economy is a complex mountain, I believe it operates on easy-to-understand premises. Simplistically, it operates out of the law of supply and demand. Earlier, I stated that the economy's health is determined by the proper balance of the production of resources, the distribution of resources, and the consumption of resources. The complication to this equation is that no resources have an actual determined value. They only have a perceived value. This makes all resources subject to change in value. They are tied into both actual and perceived supply and demand. The ancient Incas had so much gold they only valued as much as, as much as we might attend can. They made gutters and pots and plants out of it. When Pizarro showed up and bought the rest of the world's demand for gold, its value suddenly rose dramatically. My friends in Venezuela told me they can get a full tank of gas for a dollar. In the U.S., a full tank can cost more than $50. Their abundance of gas brings the local price down, while they continue to take advantage of the global demand for fuel. But even this fuel is not a certain resource. Tomorrow, an alternative fuel solution can be discovered, and the world's economy will be thrown in a major up. <laughs> oh, Jesus, really? Tomorrow, an alternative fuel solution could be discovered and the world's economy be thrown into major upheaval. Someone could discover that a teaspoon of a certain chemical when mixed with water and baking soda functions the same as oil on current vehicles. 
or an alternative fuel source can prompt the invention of new types of engines. Either way, the resulting tsunami will transform the economy. Really, God, really, really. This is what you want me to read today, huh? You, you just, you just. <sighs> the point to remember is that no resource has a guaranteed value. Precious metals and jewels are treasured because they are scarce. Diamonds aren't valuable because they are diamonds, but because the demand for them exceeds what is known of their supply. Retirement accounts, mutual funds, gold, diamonds, oil stocks, bank accounts, and even real estate are subject to forces beyond our control that could cause us to lose everything of value. A national crisis could cause the government to issue an indict confiscating our properties. The point is true at all levels. If we're going to target this mountain as an inheritance, we need to understand that some of these scenarios may seem unlikely, but they are fairly common in many countries where governments step in and nationalize businesses and even homes. A friend of mine in Nicaragua had his family's mansion and plantations nationalized by the president in office at that time. Nothing, absolutely nothing, is a guaranteed asset if the right situation were to occur. Some assets are more secure than others, but nothing is certain. God has promised to shake everything that can be shaken. God's instruction, is to, in, God's instruction to us is 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 7. Give him good reason. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. My intention has been shake your confidence in any present asset you have. Of course, we have an unshakable asset that we'll discuss later. Okay. Mm. Yeah, Father God, really, that's what you got me doing this morning, huh? Okay. The mountain of economy could also be called the mountain of wealth or the mountain of money. Money and resources are discussed often in Scripture and with very good reason. We have a saying about deciphering the root of a shady situation. Just follow the money. Presidents and world leaders are usually elected and or ejected over the issue of how they've handled the national economy. Virtually all corruption issues have to do with greed or poverty. Take this, taking this mountain will require utmost care and caution as the enemies on are very deceitful. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of Okay, an internet definition of economy is a system of production and distribution and consumption. Another definition is efficient use of resources. When applied at a national or big picture level, the economy is the proper flow and balance of the production of resources, the distribu distribution of resources, and the consumption of resources. An economy is healthy when there's a proper relationship between these three elements. The most common area of breakdown and corruption is between production and distribution. The world economy functions under very complex and multifaceted influences, and world economists widely disagree among themselves on the cause and effect of all the different pieces of the economic puzzle. They not only disagree on the future outlook of world and various national economies, they also debate each other's interpretation of the reasons behind historical collapse and booms. I will share in layman's terms my understanding of world economies because it is important to understand to in order to take this mountain. If I am technically wrong on the issue of analysis, please pardon my inexperience in this error. 
regardless of finer details, however, I believe my conclusions are warranted. Okay, see, now I, I got to start talking because we about to get into this. For those who do remember Money and Wealth and New Millennium, where this guy, he's going in, it, it breaks down tremendously what's behind these rises and these collapses. When he's talking about the Indonesia thing, no, it's not speculation. This is all geared, okay? So he's touching on it. The other book, but see, he, that other guy, he breaks it down very, very deeply. Theoretically, world money traders create economic realities. More than a trillion dollars are traded every day in just world currency speculations. Now, this is the thing he's talking about speculations. I'm going to read this. Now, I'm going to explain. Okay, see, he's talking about speculations, but it gets deeper in that because what he's really talking about, for those who are familiar with stocks and bonds, there's another thing called options, derivatives. So now, when we're talking about options, whereas, for example, I got IBM, and that stock is going to cost me $40 a share. Well, I can I can have an option on that to buy. I have an option to buy that stock not at forty dollars a share, but at at a uh, dollar. So I'm buying for a dollar the option to buy or to sell that. So this one he's talking about speculation, and I and I so I take what I'm doing is I'm leveraging. So instead of taking a thousand dollars to buy, say fifty shares, I'm gonna take that thousand dollars to buy. 500 shares, so now I'm, co I'm controlling a large amount of that company. So when I use that and then I speculate up and down, I trust, I'm doing this on a small basis. They're doing this on a huge basis. And because what he say is based on fear, so they literally uh, are uh, forecasting what's going to happen. And because they have such a control over the market, they can throw economies up and down. It's geared. It's structured. Now, the other book, if you really want to get in more detail, go and read Money and Wealth in the New Millennium. He seriously breaks this down. But, see, you have to understand what is the overall purpose, what is the overall grand design. We have to come into a new world order. It's, a, it's, it's, it's biblical. It's written. So these people who are agents of the principalities of the prince of the power of the air, they're guiding us into a new world order because when we begin to, our, our economy collapse then we're forced to go borrow money from someone. So who are we borrow money from? We're borrowing money from these leaders or these quote-unquote uh, government officials or, or um, when I'm saying government, I'm trying to think of what, what's the um, agency that's in charge now. But bottom line, these structures that are designed will we'll get you out of your situation, but you've got to bow to our demands. And that's basically what he's saying. We'll get you out of this, but you've got to bow to our demands. So now you will become part of us. That's what's happening. It's not, it, and, and that's what's going on. And it has to occur. Again, we have to become a new world order. We have to have ten nations. That's written in the Bible. These are the processes that are going forth to make to make to make company. America's going to fall one day because we're going to have to combine with something. With this fool in office, who knows what might happen? He's going. Oh, he's going to promote the agenda. Don't know mm -hmm. what's going to happen. But he's going to promote the agenda. We're going to have to combine. If you go back to Bill Clinton, when he structured us into ten nations, as far as the world is concerned, that's the crown, the diadem that sits on the beast's head. So all of this is written. These, these are the things that's moving us toward this in this in, in world order. Okay. I'm done. I'm going to just keep reading. Theoretically, world money traders create, create Economic realities. 
More than a trillion dollars are traded every day in just world currency speculations. These traders examine the latest external and internal reports on the nation's economic health and determine the value of that nation's currency. They buy currencies that seem to be strengthening and sell currencies that seem to be weakening. A significant sell-off of a currency can create its own ripple effect where traders get rid of currencies solely because others are getting rid of it. Rumors and perception are as powerful as realities in this world of high finances. Theoretically, this daily activity has more power to determine a nation's financial health than any real economics, any real economic action taking place in that nation. So these speculators are directing nations' economies. Is it any just potential or any just reason why the U.S. dollar has never gotten over the European dollar? We broke away from them as a nation. But why has our currency always been under theirs? Just something to think about. You know, things that make you go, hmm. We never broke away from them. Mm-hmm. I found that out. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> yeah. We never broke away from them. Um, it was perceived that we did. Of what perceived? <laughs> Just like perceived value of currency, now we perceive exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, I was reading in, um, um, you know, on online, and they were saying that when we did the U.S. Constitution, um, we have two constitutions: the one where we were free as the United States, and then, like, a year later, um, something happened, and now we're a corporation Mm. under Europe. (laughs) There was a business transaction done, and and I thought the same thing. I'm like, why are we so connected with them? And when I saw that, there are two constitutions, one that showed us being free, and the other was showing us as a corporation under the European nation. See, now, I'm going to back from what you just said now. Oh, man, going back to money and wealth in the new millennium, when he started breaking down wars and the financiers of wars, how they finance both sides of the wars, again, that's why I always lately been talking about the Hegelian conflict, because they have a desired end. So financing the war promotes their agenda. So the same people financed both sides of the war to promote it to where they want it again. So they promoted this division so that they can get an end result, which really wasn't a division. But it was a duplication of a similar type of situation. Because basically the way that we are and the way Europe is is pretty much the same. It's just like, you know, we have differences. But the way that we're governed, the way that we act, and our relationship with each other is pretty much similar to the same. So, like you said, yes and no. Yeah. Okay, I just keep reading. (laughs) Here we go. Case in point, the great Asian economic collapse of 1997 profoundly affected nations like Indonesia, South Korea, Thailand, and Malaysia, for various reasons, 
World currency traders lost confidence in these economies. It started with one, and then an amazing domino effect began to take place. No one knew when it was going to stop. Its ripples extended worldwide, and eventually Mexico and Brazil were adversely affected. Now, again, go back. If those who have not and not been familiar with Money and Wealth New Millennium, this exact situation he talks about, he breaks it down. He breaks it down. This is not, this author here is going to talk about fear, but no, he breaks it down from a business standpoint, from an economic, he, he totally explains everything from a spiritual sense of this exact situation. In hindsight, it seems that world currency speculators overreacted to certain reports and trends. Again, it's not hindsight. No, this is what they desired to happen. Hegelian conflict. In doing so, they threw several nations in. Now, how are you going to, not people, but they're not companies. They threw nations into spiraling ec economic crisis. It's planned. Indonesia's rupa went from 2000 to 18000 per U.S. dollars. Went from 2000 went from 2000 to 18000 per U.S. dollar, a 900% devaluation. During that year, 60 million middle to upper class, middle class Indonesians fell below the poverty line. No famine, earthquake, tsunami, or other tangible event created this cause and effect. This devastation was arguably created by world currency speculations and fears and concerns prompted them to overreact. Though some were accused of currency manipulation conspiring to bring down these national economies, that doesn't appear to be even logis logistically possible. They simply respond to their own fears based on certain financial reports. It's important to realize you can do all the right things to get out of debt, have a solid retirement plan, and keep a good amount of liquid money available, and still not able to compensate for an economic tsunami that comes your way cur courtesy of these current currency traders. Many people in these Asian nations have a personally healthy financial situation and lost it literally overnight. Many saw a lifetime economic well-doing getting wiped out in a moment, though no personal financial mistakes at all. World traders run this mountain not by consensus or strategy, but primarily through fears, rumors, and confidence. Now, this is the other thing, because majority of people are building their wealth on the way that the world determines you to build your wealth. They are financed to the hilt. They are in. They, they have credit cards, and even those who are, are they are on paper financially good, but in reality, they're not. They're not solid. They're not tangible. And see that that world system of wealth is different from God's system of wealth. And see that's again what this books books break down because you're going to have a cycle of rise and fall because somehow or another this debt cycle has to be paid for. So that's when everything collapses. So, begin, but because it's built on the world financial system, that's how it flows. And I, even in the book, I always speculated, how does an insurance company make money? I, I mean, I started breaking, I said, well, okay, you know, I break it down. But because they are one of the primary sources for this balancing act, this trapeze act, they they are able to ride and, and, and profit off of this. But... Just in, uh, my my daughter's mom, she spent over a million dollars just on her car accidents. It takes so how do they literally make money? But because they're they're selling debt and this whole debt cycle that people are walking on, that's and so if something has to pay for it. And what happens is we have a collapse. When we have a collapse. 
things are sold off for cheap and you start building in. But see, people, they don't understand that concept because they learn wealth according to the world system. They don't work long, work, learn wealth according to God's system. And that's why things fall apart. World traders also, also greatly affect economics through stocks and shares, especially those traded on Wall Street. Just as speculation can create overreactions in the currency trade, daily stock exchanges can turn volatile at a moment's notice. Traders speculate on the value of a company's stock based on reports, reads on those reports, future speculations on the trend. Instead of nations, various corporations and businesses are affected, and, of course, individuals and families and businesses are affected, and, of course, individuals further down the pipe. Enron, for example, collapsed because it was discovered that an internal financial health picture had been doctored to look so <coughs> much better than it was. Investors realized they had overvalued their holdings and began selling off their shares. The massive devaluation that resulted caused many to go from financial security to financial devastation almost overnight. In this case, hey, hey, Mr. Sam, not to interrupt you, I just wanted to bring to your attention that I worked for Arthur Anderson and had just left the firm when everything started to collapse with wow. Arthur Anderson because we were the accounting firm that was hiding and throwing away stuff and all of that. Yes, yes. Yep. Mm, I remember as you said that. You, yeah, I remember that as you said that. Right. right. Wow. Yep. Mm-mm-mm. Sorry, didn't mean to break the no, train no of reading. No problem. This is the part where we interact. This is the part where we talk. Not a problem. But I was on the inside with Arthur Anderson. I saw how things happened with some stuff and some clients and how people in the firm go out to eat consistently on the client's dime, you know, and what you have, you have like a charge code. And so you might go out and eat and have a big lunch and spend $300 and just say, oh, charge it to the client. We'll just say we were meeting talking about X, Y, Z, you know. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, that, and that consistently adds up. And so Somebody's yes. got to pay for it. Yep. Somebody's got to pay for it. And wait a yep. minute, who paid for that? The stockholders, the families. That's right. Because yep. when that company collapsed, all this, all that money that they had got left. So somebody, ultimately somebody has to pay for this bubble. Exactly. And every year where I work now, because it's considered one of the big four, it was big five until Arthur Anderson collapsed, accounting firms, we have to take all of these ethics tests and we have to compliance test every year. Because of what happened with Enron and Arthur Anderson. Mm-hmm. SEC be down our butt like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So again, so, I mean, basically, basically, you're confirming what we're reading, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's all about the greed. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the love of money. I've seen what it's done to my own family, so I know. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a small scale, though, but, yeah. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. And see, and see what well, we again, we must continually, we need to look at it naturally, but we need to also look at it spiritually. We we, we need to have their own separate category, but recognize that they inter, interact with each other. That same yeah. spirit is there. It's just, yeah. it's just a larger portion of 
Exactly, which is which to me is even more scarier. Mm-mm. Thank you. That's why we need to look at it from that perspective. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Enron, for example, collapsed because it discovered that its internal financial health picture had doctors that looked much better than it was. Investors realized they had overvalued their holdings and began selling off their shares. The massive devaluation that resulted caused many to go from financial security to financial devastation almost overnight. In this case, the crisis seemed justified because of the company's internal financial misdeeds. But trade dynamics can also devastate a well-run corporation simply through perception and fears. To compound this uncertainty, a company's collapse always causes ripple effects that can potentially topple other businesses. The power of traders is profound. As if these situations weren't troubling enough, Wall Street has other factors in play. Hedge funds are not subject to normal trade regulations. Such funds manipulate economic outlook. Harder to explain factors such as residuals and derivatives expose the entire economic pictures as a house of cards just waiting to be blown over. That's even without going into the potential risk of politic hot topics like the national debt, personal consumer debt, or the fact that the U.S. Social Security system is pretty much a glorified Ponzi screen that without some kind of overhaul has no mathematical possibility of surviving. Thanks in part to the nearly 15 abortions since the roadway that wiped out the next generation providers for this fund. You know, somebody said something to me, and I was like, and I never thought about it. He said, you know, people put up $500 a month or whatever it is. I'm self-employed, so I really don't know how all that works. But he basically, you know, they put up $500,000 a month for their retirement account. You know, and then they paid out $500 a month times 12. Even if it's $1,000 a month, that would be $12,000. But then they paid $30,000 a year or something. He was breaking it. I'm like, ooh, just the mathematics alone does not support that structure. But see, it, it's and see that's why you see seniors going to going to work and and, and the 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 um the retirement accounts are dwindling and things. But it's just the mathematics alone. I mean, bottom line, what we need to get an understanding. You need to begin to take control of your life, your finances, your health, all of this. Because if you continue to rely on the systems that are that are they they're, they're making you sick, they're they're stealing your money, they're confusing your mind. So if you nothing else, out of what we're talking about is that you need to begin to take control. And even on another level, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to, to put you so he can take control. Because if you're walking according to what the world says, you're setting a system of failure, of repeating cycle. That's the way, that's the only way that it's going to survive until it collapses and we all come together. Amen. That's right. Though the economy is a complex mountain, I believe it operates on the easy-to-understand premises. Simplistically, it operates out of the law of supply and demand. Earlier, I stated that the economy's health is determined by the proper balance of the production of resources, the distribution of resources, and the consumption of resources. The complication to this equation is that no resources have an actual determined value. They only have a perceived value. This makes all resources subject to change in value. They are tied into both actual and perceived supply and demand. 
perceived value. Didn't you somebody just say that on the line? The ancient Incas had so much gold that they only valued as much as we might value a tin can. They made gutters and pots and plants out of it. When Pizarro showed up and bought the rest of the world's demand for gold, its value suddenly rose dramatically. Okay, we all hear the San Francisco 49ers, the football team. Well, go back in your history books. Back then, gold was in just such an over overflowing amount that mm-hmm. just you walk down the street, you found gold just laying around. I believe it was the year 1949 or 14, whatever it was. That's where the 49 term came from. Unfortunately, it was a name, man named Sam. <laughs> and he went and he bought up, because gold was in such a supply and the demand, I mean, such a, you know, easy to find, and people getting there were making money, but it's just so, so, so much of it. He went and bought up every shovel, pick, and everything that you needed to, to, to mine gold with. And whereas a shovel might have normally sold for 50 cents, he sold it for $5. But because gold was in such a demand, I mean, they had so much of it, people easily paid the $5 now. So everything from him doing that, that began to drive the pri- drive the prices, which is now California, which still has high prices, began to drive the prices up for everything. I'm talking about history, people. Read it. Read it. So, again, supply and demand, perceived value. He saw an opportunity. He raised the prices, triple, quadruple. He And because gold was so plentiful, everybody, if I, yeah, I'll give you $5 for that shovel because I know I can walk down the street and find me five more pieces of gold. And he died of all. <laughs> My friend, mm-hmm. somebody want to say something? No, I was saying, yep. yep. My friends in Venezuela have told me they can get a tank full of gas for a dollar. In the U.S., one full tank can cost more than $50. Their abundance of gas brings the local price down while they continue to take advantage of the global demand for fuel. But even this fuel is not a certain resource. Tomorrow, an alternative fuel solution could be discovered, and the world's economy would throw into some major upheaval. I'm going to leave that alone, but y'all know, and we're just going to keep reading, But which which gives us an understanding of why he's been going through all he's been going through. Tomorrow, an alternative fuel solution could be discovered, and the world's economy would throw into some major upheaval. Someone could discover that a teaspoon of a certain chemical when mixed with water and baking soda functions the same as oil on current vehicles. Or or alternative fuel sources could prompt the invention of new type of engines. Either way, the resultant tsunami would transform the economy. The point to remember is that no resource has a guaranteed value. Precious metals and jewels are treasured because they are scarce. Diamonds aren't valuable because they are diamonds but because the demand for them exceeds what is known as their supply. Retirement accounts, mutual funds, gold, diamonds, oil stocks, bank accounts, and even real estate are subject to forces beyond our control that could cause us to lose everything of value. A national crisis could cause a government to issue an edict confiscating all properties. This point is true at all levels, and if we're going to target this mountain as an inheritance, we need to understand that. 
Some of these scenarios may seem unlikely, but they are fairly common in many countries where governments step in and nationalize businesses and even homes. A friend of mine in Nicaragua had his family's mansion and plantations nationalized by the president's office at the time. Nothing, absolutely nothing, is guaranteed asset if the right situation were to occur. Some assets are more secure than others, but nothing is certain. God has promised to shake everything that can be shaken. Hold on one second. Uh. I just want to interject. There have been several people who have created, who had created alternate resources um, for gas had the car, the prototypes and everything, and they disappeared. So it's like the the information is out there, but they kill it before it can be disseminated and recreated. Okay. Um, where am I? I'm gonna read it. So the parents remember there's no resource has a guaranteed value. Precious metals and jewels are treasured because they are scarce. Diamonds aren't valuable because they are diamonds, but because the demand for them exceeds what is known as their supply. Retirement accounts, mutual funds, gold, diamonds, oil, stocks, bank accounts, and even real estate are subject to forces beyond our control that could cause us to lose everything of value. A national crisis could cause the government to issue an edict confiscating our properties. The point, this point is true at all levels, and if we're going to target this modern inheritance, we need to understand that. Some of these scenarios may seem unlikely, but they are fairly common in many countries where governments step in and nationalize businesses and even homes. A friend of mine in Nicaragua had his, business, had his family mansion plantation nationalized by the president's office at that time. Nothing, absolutely nothing, is guaranteed asset if the right situation were to occur. Some assets are more secure than others, but nothing is certain. God has promised to shake everything that can be shaken. God's instruction to us in 1 Timothy 6 and 17 is given with good reason. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in certain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. My intention has been to shake your confidence in any present asset you may have. Of course, we have an unshakable asset that we will discuss later. And that is our reading for today. Okay. Questions, comments, criticism, complaints?
And you know what, Sam, what makes it so interesting is <clears throat> now you see that's all they push, insurance, auto insurance, life insurance, burial insurance, you know, insurance to make sure that if your car breaks down, you could, you know, you'd be able to get your car fixed and home insurance and home insurance if your if your um furnace breaks down and it's just like you're paying into all of this and if you never use it you've 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 basically lost all this money that you paid. You don't get it back and you're paying it on a what if and it's just like can I do the same thing and put it in a savings account? Will it still work the same way or, or not? You know, it's it's really weird. It's really weird. I've never, I've never understood it at all. I mean, what we have to understand is that people sit down and seriously analyze this whole scenario and know how to target, market. They spend days and and have experts. And, and, and just like we spend time on a prayer call, you have those who spend time in satanic worship, and he's revealing things to them as well. So, again, <laughs> it, 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 it's, 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 yeah, mm-hmm. whether or not we like it, want to accept it, oh, but it's very real. It's very real. It's very real. Every time I look at at my four hundred one k, it gets even more real because. Tell me a laugh, but I mean because I mean really, it's like you expect me to really, really accumulate something I can live off of when you know what you're paying me, you know. And when I look at some of the hierarchy in the firm, I'll give you an example. When my husband passed and I came back, one of my female partners says to me, well, um, with your estate planning and everything, I'm sure that took care of a lot. And I'm looking at her like, what what estate planning? We're not on the scale you are. You know, and I just kind of looked at her because it was an indirect way of her picking me as well, so I'm not stupid, you know. But it's just the mentality um, of how their estate planners are calling or Merrill Lynch is calling because we're getting our this and that together. And it's just some people I really think, in their mind, it's like we're not all on the same scale of money. And even though you're rich, that can be wiped out in a matter of minutes. So don't get it twisted. You better recognize where your health and wealth comes from. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it was. It was, it was. oh, my God, I, I hope you guys have really, really good insurance. And it's like, okay, Fortunately, we were people that had sense enough to I'm not going to say sense enough, but we had insurance. But it's like it's not on the scale you guys would probably have, and it's still not an annual income. 
when he died, that's a whole income that's missing. So it's the like you said, it's the perception that people really do feel like they're secure in their wealth. And every day I get up and I thank God that he's providing a way for me and my family. Not man, but God. Not these systems, but God, you know? Mm-hmm. But some of the questions and some of the, I had one person was like, oh, you're back. I was hoping you guys had enough insurance money that you wouldn't have to work again. Huh? Did you really just say that? I don't know. I mean, as I'm listening, one of the things I'm learning, learning and I'm definitely going to be doing is they call it SDRP, self-directed retirement account. You can direct your own money, and that's what they teach us in the real estate stuff, how to use retirement accounts to finance deals and things of nature. You take nothing else again. Learn how to take control of your own situation and circumstance. Because right. you see what the system is doing. Yes. Learn how to take your money. You can take your own money and invest it in what you want to to produce a profit. But that means it's going to be on you. That means you have right. to apply yourself. But you see what's going on if you rely on the system. And going back to again, a lot of us are lazy, trifling, or don't know no better. Well, you know what? Right. Now here's a wake-up call. Here's a wake-up yep. call. We're, we're too busy releasing the school. They wait. They they want the systems to train my child with us. Everything we eat, they feeding us nothing but steroids and hormones. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, our financial system. They're robbing us. So, but we're gonna continue just to rely on the system. No, America ain't gonna be great again, people. Y'all need to wake up and see what's really going on. But we yep. refuse to open our eyes to the truth. But see, if we want, if we open our eyes to the truth, then we're going to become accountable. We're going to have to say, really? Oh, no, no, no. But we don't want to do that. We prefer to stay in the darkness where, you know what, here comes some darkness going to force you to open yourself up. And now what you going to do? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I look at, it's like you were saying about the food. I can remember, Mr. Sam, you guys being seven, eight. And going with my uncle to slop the hogs because we would, they would all put money in and buy like three or four hogs. And there was this place way out in the country where you could rent like a stall for your hogs and you fed them. And we knew what we were eating, you know. It's just, I don't know. Well, like you said, you better wake up and, t- and be responsible for your own. And quit waiting on systems. Well, let me let me let me let me take it even deeper. Remember when we were growing up in the food pyramid? Yeah, what what, what two or three servings a day of certain foods? Yeah, two or three servings. Then the beginning of five or six servings, not seven. Eight. Why do I need seven or eight servings of the same potato, meat, this and other? Because the nutrients that your body needs is no longer in the food because it's not in the soil. The government knows that. They know that our soil is nutritionally deficient. They know yes, that. they do. So, again, here come the hormones and all the other stuff. So we're eating bulk, but the nutrients, which is what your body – see, we don't even eat right. We're supposed to eat from a nutritional standpoint. We're supposed to eat what our body needs. But I understand, but we eat what tastes good, what looks good. But, you know, what looks good is not what your body needs. Your body needs certain enzymes, certain chemicals to have certain chemical reactions going through your body so it will be in a healthy state. 
So you got to get out of that taste and how and smell. No, I'm a, hey, people talk about me all the time with the juicing, but you know what I do? I'm getting live enzymes in my system. I'm That's getting right. things that are helping to cleanse and purify. And that cabbage juice that makes me go, Ugh, but I'm recognizing it's, it's pulling stuff out of me. So I understand that. So I'll get past the taste because I recognize I'm either going to spend it on the vegetables or I'm going to go to the doctor, which is going to put me Thank in another you. system, which is going to get me in a more a deteriorating state. And you know what? That mindset right there is what, more of us need, because I'm going to tell you some years back, not some years, but maybe about four years ago when I really was in pretty good health and taking care of myself, and I used to think, dog, it's expensive to eat healthy, and it is, and dog, it's expensive to do this. But I was like, you know what? It's even more expensive to pay doctor, doctors and hospital bills. Mm-hmm. You know? And... I don't know. It's just, it's like you said. My mom has a garden every year, and we harvest those collard greens when the frost hit it, and we have bell peppers and everything. And, I mean, it's just some of the best eating because I know what she's putting in her garden, you know? Yeah. I went to, uh, I worked for a lady, and same thing, before she went to school, they grew everything from the ground to the animals or whatever. She said when she went to school and, you know, she ate the cafeteria, she put the first phone on my She's like, what is this? It was about a month before she literally began to force herself to eat because the food just did. She could tell this is something that don't taste right. You know, because she knew what real good nutritional food was and what she was eating is processed stuff. Exactly. But you know what, that's why they're trying to make it illegal for people to have their own garbage now. In some states, in some in some places, it's illegal to have your own garden. They're making people dig up their garden and telling them inciting them find everything for having their own personal garden in their yard. Mm. Tell you. And why do you think back then, you know, in my mom's era where they ate a lot of fat back and they ate uh, pig feet and, and, and all this, and they were still healthy. I mean, I look at my grandmothers and my great aunts. They were all somewhere between the age of 92 and 96 when they passed, you know, because even though it was pork, the dangerous food, it was the way they bought up their food. It was the fact that they mm-hmm. walked everywhere. It was the fact that they didn't mind walking a mile to do this or three miles to do that. I mean, and they knew what they were putting in their own food. Uh-huh. And everything is processed. It's, it is. Because I told my daughter, I said, it's kind of strange. <clears throat> years ago, now I'm going to say years, maybe 10 years ago or more, when I was really into it, I, I had heavy binge issues when I was eating 
you know, either from an emotional standpoint, I would eat bread all day, all day, and I would have no problem. But now I know that now everything is, um, my doctor told me I had a gluten allergy. I'm like, what do you mean a gluten allergy? And she was like, yeah, you can't eat bread, you can't eat pasta, you can't because that will inflame your joints. I'm like, all this time I ate bread. Now bread is an issue? I'm like, when did that happen? And that just shows you how the the, the impurities of what they're putting in our food is now making us sick. But it, and, but it goes back to what you were reading so about supply and demand. It's like they have expended all of the natural resources that were pure, and now they have come up with a way to make everything grow faster. So it looks like we're more abundant, but it's a detriment to our system. But since everything is connected, why not make it so that the pharmacy and the medical area and all of these other places make their money? Where do you think our cancers are coming from? Where do you think all of the allergies and the and the, the things about our health is coming from? Because we have to eat the food to survive. I told my sister, I said, and my daughter, we had started drinking um, bottled water because the faucet water was tasting funny. And um, found, and I was just so happy to look at the thing, and it says bottled water, purified with minerals added for taste. I was like, why are you adding minerals to water for taste? So why does our water have ingredients? It doesn't just say water. It has water, and then it has the ingredients that they add to add minerals for taste. And I'm like, and then the minerals that they added, you can look up under WebMD, and it shows that it's not good for your body. So it's like they're killing everything that gives life to the body. So they, it's like a slow process, and it's just real. It's just, uh, anyway, it is so. It's so convoluted. It's not even funny anymore. It's just like you, like I've been saying, you better know God. You know, you better know God and and listen to what He tells you to put in your body. Listen to what He tells you not to put in your body, and everything else. Because the system will fail you every time. Well, like you said, they put stuff into the water. And they've been warning people about when you even keep your water in your car. Now it turns that bottled water to something that's poisonous, even more poisonous. Yep. So they keep telling people don't drink your don't drink that water that's been sitting out in your car 
But look how many trucks has been sitting in the back of before you even got to the grocery store to get into your car. So they know that water and those additives are having a chemical reaction. Hello? Yeah, he might, he might be um, juicing his, his stuff. Um, but going back to what he was reading, though, um, even it was, it was a video that I had um, found on the Internet of an interview with um, the the president of Nestle. And he even stated, he said, who said that water should be free? He was like that. He said, the only thing, he said, the only thing that is um he said people feel that they're entitled to free water. And he was like, water should, is not an entitlement. It's a privilege. And he was like, and so um, people should have to pay for water. And he said that years ago, like the 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 interview was like early 90s before the bottle, you know, before people really started buying bottled water. And he was saying that people, you know, they take water for granted and they don't, you know, they think that they should have it for free. They shouldn't have it for free. They should have to pay for it. And I, I was like, I said then, I was like, um, it was kind of weird for him to say that. But it, it just so happened, you know, when I, when I ran across the video, you know, things were happening with the water and how now there's even a tax on buying water. You know, it's it's just it's just the system is set up like, you know, like the reason that we're doing today. The system is set up for us to all 
fall in line with the the order, the new world order, where the, if they could, if they could, they make us pay for the air we breathe as well. So it's like it, it's it's really it's. Thank God for God. That's all I gotta say. I'm going back on mute. I think what, um, and I harp on this, and I'm going to keep harping on this, when you're saying the system, because see, some people, the system, the system, ain't no system, ain't no man. We have to take our eyes off of the natural. The system is the prince of the power of the air. We got exactly. to take our eyes off the natural. Exactly. And we do that, that will help us to get understanding and an acceptance. Like, yes, there is a plan. Yes, there is a system. Yes, there is. Again, because it's the prince of the power of the air. It's not some of the men that are being used don't even recognize that they're being used. They don't know no better. You know, they're yielding. We will, if we do not have Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of us, we will naturally yield to earthly desires. We will naturally yield to that which Satan does. It's just tell us a struggle with Jesus inside of us. So what you think it is without him inside of you? Uh, uh, uh. So, I mean, we, we have to get to the point that we are accepting that there is a divine plan, scheme, however you want to say, but it's beyond man's understanding. But can we also say there are some things they just choose not to understand? Oh, here we go. Eric is going to come off of mute now. Choose not to understand, choose not to see, choose not to accept. Because I prefer, oh, me, I met, me and Wayne was messing with each other yesterday and said, you know, talking about denial, a denial is real. Mm-hmm. We, we can all deny. When you live in the state of denial, it's real, real. And denial is powerful. Yes, it for, is. For mm-hmm. reasons, it helps us to where we're at, again, there are spiritual as well as historical reasons now, but denial, we, we will accept hell. Okay, yeah, I'm going to go there. How do you accept this fool in office who has showed you I'm lying, who has showed you I'm still, who showed you I do any doggone thing, and then yet he tells you America is going to make it great again? Okay, really? Really? I'm telling you I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm all these things. Listing all these negative attributes of him, but you're going to place him in a, 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 a situation where he has control over your life to some degree. Really? Really? 
I mean, again, denial. We do, denial is more comfortable for us. But again, we're talking about us looking at taking accountability of our financial situation, our medical situation, our mental situation. Well, no, I prefer to rely on the system and complain when it fails me. They didn't educate my child right. Really, I had to try to get your child three hours to sit down in a seat before I can even talk to my ABC. He's supposed to be learning that stuff at home. I, I, my money, they just took my money. It's all going out of, out of the car. I understand that. But did you ever try to take the time to educate yourself, to learn about what's going on, even to the point that you can tell them, you know what, I see that my stock is beginning to dwindle. Um, can you move it to someplace else? You know, children, they are, they are they're supposed to do what you want them to do. Well, and they'll tell you something, but no, I've been following the market. I've been studying. See, what about that? But no, it's easier for us. It's harder, like she said, to pay, to, to eat healthy. Do you know how much stuff? And I don't know nothing, especially compared to some of the things when I call people for advice on healthy eating, about, about my, my body and how it functions. But I've read through books and stuff, primarily because I was dealing with things. And God began to reveal things to me. So we have to begin to become accountable for ourselves. But the denial, and I can rely on the system, and I can point a finger at somebody else. What does the Bible say? It's easier to, uh, to get a speck out of a brother's eye than a log out of my own. Y'all see, y'all don't got me. See, y'all don't got me on this money thing. And you know that's my subject, and I'm, on, I, I'm getting ready to drive. I got some place to be. So I'm going on mute. You don't have to stop so angry about it. I mean, we just, it's not our fault. We can do it. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> I said, you sound so angry about it. It's not our fault. We didn't do it. Well, you know what? I mean, and I guess, I mean, you know what? Yeah, I'm angry, but I think more so I'm passionate because I'm, I'm dealing with this. This is one of my moms. I know that. So, honestly, the fact of favorite prayer of a righteous man of Bella much. So, yeah, I'm in there. I can't help it. I see this. I'm living it. So it's an anger, but more so, it's, 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 at least it's, it's, it's a fervency. But, I mean, it is what it is. I, I, because of the fact that it affects me, because I'm struggling with it, but I also recognize, again, this is something that God has been using to grow me up in his word. So I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. But, yeah, I am pissed. Yeah, I don't like it. And, yeah, I recognize that I got to fight. So, yeah, I might be a tad bit of an attitude, but, <laughs> but, but that, that's who I am. And, and that's God, because I'm recognizing all that it takes just me to get to the point of almost break even. I'm looking at all that it has taken me to do that. And so when I when I look at people who lollygagging and tell me something, I just really look at you. I don't even waste my time no more. I just go, yeah, uh-huh, right. Uh, I'll see you next year. Like like Morgan said, we passed by one of her ex-boyfriends. Mm, he's still standing on the corner. <laughs> so I see those same people and go, oh, you still believe in that lie? You tell it to yourself. Oh, oh, I'm going on mute. Bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
Anybody else got anything to say once? <laughs> I got I gotta go do some work too, so look. Anybody got anything to say twice? <laughs> yeah, I do. Mad Max the Thunderdome. <laughs> they got over there with people fighting over dirt. <laughs> and they treated it like gold. <laughs> what? Mad Max the Thunderdome. Uh-huh. People are fighting over dirt. People, people fighting over what? Over dirt. Oh. They were fighting over dirt, treating it like gold. But that's not going back again to perceived wealth, perceived value. You know, um, right. and like Lisa was talking about... um. About you know, and like it's the money. I love I love money and wealth in the new millennium because he. I've never seen anybody go back to the original all the way from scriptures and world. This is a businessman, you could tell, but never seen anybody able to tie both of those in together. He went all the way back to the fall of those, but you just said to go wow. But again, all of this money was was created because of the bartering system. You know, me helping you and me, I, and I'm helping you. Whereas, and Lisa was even talking about that she's trying to do something with us students. Whereas, you know, well, I've got I got a horse, but I only need three pieces of corn. I can't give you my whole horse for three pieces of corn. So this is why money was created. So now I can give you money with your three pieces of corn, and I keep my horse. Because if I sell my horse, that's 100 pieces of corn, but I don't want 100 pieces of corn. I only want three. So that's how money was created. So, again, perceived value, what you were talking about. What do we think something is worth? Right, and that's why I said what I said, because all over and done with the simplest thing, it's going to have so much value because it got messed up so badly. So what? I said the very thing we took for granted, and that was one of, and that was our main source. That's pretty much our main source for mm. our physical life. Mm-hmm. Have gotten down to the point of now we're starting to realize the value has gotten so scarce. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. One, because of our disobedience. Two, our neglect to take care of it. And like mm-hmm. Indians have told the settlers, the land belongs to everybody. Just leave it the way you found it. Mm-hmm. And they've been raping the land for years. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, they call Indians barbaric, but when the Indians had the land, they made rich and fruitful. Mm-hmm. They gave the land now they're fighting over the right. right. Now they're fighting them over putting this pipeline in, and the Indians already know what that pipeline is going to do to the water and to the mm-hmm. ground. Mm-hmm. And they're fighting them still, talking about they're wrong. They're wrong. Mm-hmm. Indians take up this land way before the settlers set foot on this land. So the settlers is like a cancer coming in, tearing up the land. And that's what's so happening. The very thing mm-hmm. that we had, 
Peter, now it's down to zip, down to a little bit of nothing, but now it's going to cost us a heck of a lot more. And that's mm-hmm. water and dirt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh? I said, poison it up. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And the solid thing of the core of the earth is those precious gems, gold, Mm -hmm. diamonds, oil. Okay, and if you take out that core, the soil has nothing really to, you know, for that support. And that's where you start getting all those sinkholes. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, like you said, the money started out on the bartering system. Okay, but now they're taking up to some evil levels. So mm-hmm. you can have as much money as you want, but if you mess up your support, you really right. you don't have anything. You don't have no foundation. And that money can turn over to being confederate. Mm. And then what you got? <laughs> I mean, you got these people killing on the pins of they of they lost in the nice green and lush, but that's still poison going down into the into mm-hmm. the I mean, so there's a whole lot of stuff, and they got people by image, what looks good, what had been brainwashed into your mind to believe is the best thing. If a tomato come out, okay, if it's not perfectly now. That doesn't mean that it's that you uniqueness and your mind is just um, able to eat. You pray or eat it. Your stomach ain't gonna know no difference on how it looks. <laughs> Only thing you pray about is you have the nutrients it needs to keep it going. Right. And that's one thing that we don't look at. We're so busy trying to please everybody else, we're not taking into account the things that we need for our bodies need. In order to mm-hmm. keep it. I mean, okay. I say we're not we're not taking account what our bodies need, what our spirits need, what our souls need. Because we're we're not we're not walking according, which goes back to what we were reading about about God being the center for everything. And if He is the center for everything, then it emanates from Him. Then. That's the system that we need to be led by, not by the way the world system is set up. So right now, the system is set up, okay, well, if you're able to save a certain amount of money, which they weren't looking for you to be able to save anything. Medicine. They seem to do this, but it also has a higher rate of, rate of killing you, or slowly killing you. Okay, they're looking for that, too. They're hoping that you never wake up to realize life. Hmm. And then, too, just like uh, somebody was saying a little bit earlier about the insurance. you got to be careful about that insurance because the wording of it, when you think you're getting one so now whoever is over the estate 
Now they got to come out of their pocket to make up for the loss. But this that contract is going to be able to help cover in a time of bereavement. But the person that paid, nine times out of ten, the person that paid into it for where they should have been able to get a decent amount of return on their money, just like with car insurance. You pay the insurance, but when you need it, now you got a deductible you got to pay. You got to do some other things because it's not, gonna, it's not coming through the way you thought that they told you it was going to come through for you. Anybody got anything going once? Oh, you decided to move once. Oh, no, come on. Anybody got anything going once? Anybody got anything going twice? Anybody got anything going three times? I'm stepping up first. Oh, you know, just your name. Yep. Alright. <laughs> Hmm. I see a lot of fine-tuning that God's going to begin. Actually, it's kind of already started. Fine-tuning as far as your relationship with him, fine-tuning as far as your purpose, your destiny, fine-tuning how to actually interact with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. See, the word says the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man of much. The effective, fervent prayer meaning walking in right order, not just doing things out of just how we think or how we feel, but as far as the godly, divine order that he has established. That's what he means, the, the effective. So he's going to begin to fine-tune you in so many areas and arenas. So you just continue ask, just begin ask him, Lord, is this your fine? When when something comes up and it might be a little different, or you might feel a little different, or you might seem like it's just not right, ask him, is this your fine tuning that you want me to do? Is this is there some fine tuning that you want me to do? And if, when he tells you yes, then just stop, slow it down, or whatever you need to do. Because if you keep moving in the same way that you're moving when he pricks your spirit, you won't be able to be finely tuned. See, then that fine tuning is when you start paying attention to the detail, the smaller things. But it's those smaller things that make a huge difference. 
It's the smaller things that affect quality, not quantity. So that's what the Lord is doing in your life. He's, he's going to begin to prick you and prune you so that you will produce a better fruit. But it will be for his kingdom purposes. So, Father God, continue to mold, shape, and grow this child of God up in the capacity and in the way that you want her to be grown. So she continue to be your portion that will yield to you as you transform in her life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 All right. Who next? I'd like to step up, please. She has stepped up to the plate. Maria is after her. Who did that what? Maria is after her. I am looking at her in there. Whatever. Whatever. All right, let me pray for Felicia. Piti, Yara Rokombosia, Krani Rokosaka, Krani Rokosia, Shirakan. Proportions, directly proportional and inversely proportional. Hmm. Your family, directly proportional, but especially your daughter. And I say that in the sense of the spiritual, emotional, solical ties that you have had are being released, and she's beginning to walk in her own accord. That's why I say it's not as directly proportional as it had been because she's beginning to find her own way. So mommy ain't totally in agreement with it, but mommy's going... (laughs) But you must, as I say, don't mother but mentor her. Let her find her own way as the Holy Spirit is directing her. The foundation is established and it is good. So now just as you, mm, oh, wow. Oh, oh, see him. Mm, okay, well, you know. See, now I'm going to tell you this too. See, you ain't going to like this too much. It's a necessity that you release her. Because the energy that you are using to try to hold, instruct, and guide her, you need it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You cannot afford to let that energy go. It's just like I talk about when I had that house situation and all my partners bailed on me except for one and they would come by visit. I could not afford to get mad at them because I only had certain amount of energy, and if I use that energy to get mad, then I, I just didn't have it. I, couldn't, I, could, I could not afford to do such. Now, see, we're talking about finances and wealth and economics. Well, if you let that energy go in the wrong direction, you will be bankrupt. Mm. 
No, I'm gonna let that. I'm gonna let that marinate because it ain't where it need to be. Mm-hmm. If you walk in how you are familiar with walking in regards to your daughter, doing the things you're familiar and used to doing, it will pull from you unnecessarily and place you in a situation where you can't apply it where it needs to be applied at, thus you will go into solical and spiritual bankruptcy because you only have so much. Mm. Now, mm-hmm. I say all the time, and Pastor Mark says all the time, you know, don't never get rid of your vessel. Now, I say all the time that you have an endless supply when you're locked, you know, locked into the Holy Spirit. Now, what I say and what I just said, would that be a conflict? So I'm saying you have an inner supply that you're locked into the spirit, but I just told you if you if you if you don't change the way that you're doing, then you'll run out. Because one side is me and the other side is the spirit. There you go. That means you are not totally where you need to be spiritually. See, these these are the, the mentoring that the Holy Spirit does us. You're not, and that's what we talked about when I, on Sunday that when God God moved um, David, but literally he just moved out of the way, and, and the devil stepped in because it was a vacancy there. But see, the right. fall, Israel was not in order that they needed to be. So, in this particular thing, and see, this is just tweaking that God is doing. This this is not major things, but I'm I'm, I'm breaking it down like this because it, all of us need to have an understanding of how this works. You have an inner supply if you are perfectly lined up as how God is ordained for this moment. Now, see, where you were at last week could be fine, but now at this week where he's trying to take you in another direction, that's no longer acceptable. And so now when God is correcting us in these things, we need not to walk in condemnation or, or, or upset. Okay, Lord, all right, oh, okay, I need to make some adjustments. Lord, you're telling me it's time. That simply is that. Now, I'm saying it's simply, and it, it might require a lot. A lot of times it does, but that's the attitude that we need to have. So it's not a major, no, you haven't been missing it, but God is saying now is the time to begin to make changes as an arena. If you do such, you will have it in the supply. But if you walk in not, then you're not totally walking how I want you to be, so you can only get so much of me because you're not total, not in perfect position. Okay. Mm. Yeah, no. So now, going from that, oh, oh, sorry, I'm about to cut you. <sighs> See, this is where fear, doubt, and unbelief comes in, and walking in our own vomit. I prefer to mother than mentor because I'm comfortable in that situation rather than me turning and fully facing what I need to be doing. Sam, this is why I don't like to talk to you. 
<laughs> I saw it. You blame it on Ed Hucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and see, I'm 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 correct because I'm doing my godly duties. I'm supposed to be a parent. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to. God said, yeah, okay, but now where you're at, I need a change. But if I do that, then I'll be a, see, this is fear down. See, this is the fear down unbelief telling you the reasons why you can't, that we'll listen and accept because it allows us to be comfortable and where we're at. But God is saying, I don't want you to be comfortable. I need you to grow. I need you to change. Well, I don't like change. This ain't about you. Mm. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. So, in saying all of that, you have what you need inside of you, but you must use it and walk in it fully in order to get more and to really understand what you have. See, right now we talk about knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. You don't totally understand the giftings and the callings that God has placed inside of you, and you will not until you are fully walking in it, not partially. Okay, Lord. You know what I I think I'm done. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. I think I better wait. <laughs> 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 I think I better wait on this. What? 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 I, I'm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I better wait to be prepared for this. Mm-hmm. What? I mean, are you ready for your prayer? Because I'm done with Felicia. You ready for yours, Maria? <laughs> How about I pray for Donald Coleman for Derek Coleman first? How about that? We make it easier. No, do my just go ahead and do me. Oh, uh, she got. Uh, no, I'm gonna put my big girl drawers on. Let me go here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You want to get some depends just in case? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I might. <laughs> Oh, no, that's funny. You know what? Let me stop. I even go there anymore. Okay, then. <laughs> Are you ready, dear? Yes. All right. Ouch, 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 ouch. God is showing you stuff, talking to you, and that's how you're responding. You're responding that way because... Your spirit is saying, mm-hmm. Your soul is saying, ouch. Your flesh is saying, hell no. Because, again, we're talking about accountability. 
We're talking about growth. We're talking about uncomfortableness. And for you, you, where God is really trying to get you to go, you don't really see yourself having the capability to get there. You you see yourself, as they said, and you see yourself as a grasshopper. Go mm, and see, oof, wow. Mm, Jesus. It is not, it's so many reasons why you see yourself as a grasshopper. Do you want me to go further than this? What? Do you want me to go further? Yeah. Okay. Spirit, soul, and body. Upbringing. Relationships. Let's start with spirit. Abuse. Rejection. Hurt. Though you've grown, you're not totally delivered, and those spirits still reside inside of you. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> Just get this. Keep going. <laughs> I was going to get I mean, but again, for a teaching lesson for all of us, okay, and that's why we must approach the thing, spirit, soul, and body, because you can get to a certain level in your mannerisms, your character, and you have truly changed, but if you don't get that, that, that demonic aspect that totally allows that gate, it still has life, though it is in a weakened state, it still residing. Remember, these spirits don't want to go nowhere. Where are they going to go? They've been comfortable living with you. A friend of mine, I, I think I might have mentioned before, we were working one day, and I was, and he just said, I don't believe this shot. I was like, hold on for a minute, this might be my call. No. I said, what? He said, I, I, I got to go. I got to go to me. I'm like, what? He said, I got to go. I said, okay. Years. But all of a sudden, he recognized that thought, that drive, that desire for something he hadn't done in years, and he knew, I got to go find me a meeting. It wasn't a passing thought, but it was an intense desire for something he hadn't even done in years because that spirit's still there. And for whatever reason, that spirit, I'm going to try it again. So he walked in what he knew he needed to do to keep it down. Keeping it down and getting rid of it is two different things. You can only get rid of it by the word and the spirit and the anointing of God. So in other words, you have some things that are down inside of you, but you need to go ahead and deliver them in the name of Jesus. So that's the spirit. Now we're going to talk about some soulical things. Familiarity. Walking in abusive relationships, negative, and I don't mean abusive as far as totally I'm physical, but, you know, verbal and hurtful things are going back. So a lot of that still, you still look at it, and, and you, like, you know, somebody might raise their hand, and you just went. You know, so you're not totally, a lot of that still, see, all these are things are affecting why you don't see yourself as being that conqueror. Why, why you don't see yourself as totally overcoming? Because a lot of that stuff is still there. And remember, what he's saying we're talking about as far as you taking over the giants is going to happen a little by little, bit by bit. See, we want these 
overnight, God touched me and I'm totally healed kind of prayer. And, Lord, my finances, that's why people play the lottery. We want these total transformations, but nine times out of ten, I'm going to say about 97 times out of ten, it doesn't happen that way. Because if it did, God knows we're not really totally ready to receive it. So he has to grow us up and out of things, and that makes definitely. <laughs> and the processes of doing that, that makes you come to him, learn about him, lean on him, and trust him, and get rid of that flesh. Again, what does he say? The flesh is going to grow in my presence. So if you could do it without him, then he would be like, well, you don't need me. And that's what we have to get to a point in our life, recognizing that we need not only need, but we desire. And see, that's a whole other level. So what I'm trying to say, woman, God, yes, you, those things that God has been showing you, the heights that he's trying to take you to, you can achieve those things, but you've got to let him heal and deliver you in these other areas. You've got to let him, those things that are still residing and binding and keeping you down, you still got to let him release that from you. Don't continue. Every time the thought of you not doing or not achieving rises up inside you, you need to hit that thing with the word of God. See, you want to get rid of them spirits every time the negativity comes at you, what you can't do or how you use it, that you, you just confess out of your mouth scriptures counteracting, contradicting that very thing. See, that's how you get rid of that spirit. That's if you, because you keep putting light in, he ain't got no, he's out of here. I, you keep doing that, one day you're going to do is you're going to just go into a coffin pit. You just, oh, you're going to feel that because I'm out of here. I don't like it no more. I can't even let it know no more. That's what you do. So you do that thing on the spiritual aspect. Then on the solical aspect, you can study and apply yourself as needed to be. You learn, you position yourself, whatever it is the Holy Spirit is telling you to do, you do those things. So we, we also have to understand we have a part to play in all of this. Just like when you're in the choir, Mr. Hayes taught you a whole lot about singing that you didn't know before you got there, even though you left Shadok or Shadok Obasa. But you learned a lot about singing. Yes, you had the talents, but look at how much you have developed those talents. It's the same you got to do now. Okay, yeah, I, I got God. But if I don't do anything with what I mean, give me, I'm still not going to rise into the arena where I can go. God's got a lot that he wants, and, and, and you're capable of doing. But you got to trust him. you got to trust him. And you got to let him grow you up and grow you out of things. And, no, I'm not trying to say you've been listening. But what did I say? Little by little, piece by piece. That's a Deuteronomy what, seven seventeen confession. Confess it over your life. Get into the first chapter of Ephesians. Confess it over you and your family. Do these things the Holy Spirit say. Face your fears. Don't back down. Trust God even when it hurts and it doesn't seem like it's working. Trust Him and do it even then. That's when it's definitely important. I don't feel like doing this. It ain't it's a waste of my time. Yep, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. See, that's why he puts you in dry places, in desert places, in hard places, so that you, you act upon the word because. 
That's what he's doing in your life. So, no, it's not going to get any more comfortable. It's not going to get any easier because where you're at being a mature woman of God, the way he's developing, he doesn't need you to be in that comfort position because he needs you to be the warrior that he's calling you to be, to walk in his word so you can begin to tear down principalities and power. Oh, Father God, did I just say that? In other words, let me just, what he just revealed to me. You're not dealing with little in spirits anymore. You are now dealing with principalities and powers. So in other words, you're dealing with the upper echelon of demonic strongholds and entities. You're not dealing with the empty anymore, so it's going to be a much tougher battle. It's going to require much more from you. But God would not call you and position you there if he did not know that you were equipped for it. But you must yield to that which he desires to do in your life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Did I say amen now? Amen. <laughs> Surely, dear. Got two minutes. I'm going to say amen with you. Amen. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a roll, dog. Mm. <laughs> 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 Bless you. Mm-hmm. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Well, mm-hmm. I, uh, is anything you want to say there? Well, I got two minutes, so, you know, I might as well go ahead and just say your piece. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Well, I guess it's Derek Coleman. Is it ready for me to pray for him now? His name is Terry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Just saying, his name is Terry. It's Terry, not Derek. Oh, she told me Derek. Okay. She was but having some Derek, issues. You know. She was having some issues. Yes, but I'm going to have issues. She's talking about some. Don't go amen on that either. I don't want to hear it. Thank you. I say amen. Mm, whatever. All right. Let me pray for Terry. Mm, that's my line, brother Terry. Is that who you talking about? <laughs> whole different, whole different millennium. <laughs> I think you got about 20 years. <laughs> oh, 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 you know what? Let me pray for Terry right now before I change my mind. Mm-hmm. I got your 20 years plus, Jess Shadalakambaka. If that's anyway. the case, that means she's a cougar. That means what? If that's true, that means she's
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.